Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. This is episode 208. We are recording this on Saturday night, January 21st, 2023, at about 6 p.m. Pacific time. I'm Terry. We've got Todd. We've got Zach. Zach is celebrating a Kansas City Chiefs win. Well, what I'm really celebrating is that I teased the line from nine and a half to six and a half. Oh, it, a, a rare, a rare good move. How do you do a three-point teaser, or do you just buy points? It was just an alternate line. Oh, okay, but it, it, I actually even celebrated when they made that backdoor cover because uh, it made it so much cooler that I, I, it was you know, it was my, it was a cool, cool guy moment of the weekend. So I'm proud of it. Nice, nice. I mean, much better than how uh, how KU basketball performed against TCU today. We're not talking about that. <laughs> but, you know, Chad Henney, man, he's 37 years old. Like, he's a great quarterback. And that, they said that was the longest drive in Kansas City postseason history. Doesn't belong to Mahomes, belongs to Chad Henney. Uh, after that drive, I'm surprised that Mahomes went back in the game. Because... Well, he didn't want to upset. He didn't want to upset Big Red. You know, I think Big Red wanted him on the sideline. But uh, yeah, Un- unnecessary risk taking prevailed because I think Chad Henney looked awesome on that drive. Is Chad Henney? Are you thirty seven? Is he older than you, Terry? I I am thirty seven. Oh, this is a conspiracy theory. <laughs> I'm looking. I'm looking up his birthday to see who's actually older. Oh man. He was born July second of eighty five, so uh, May of eighty five. So I'm older. You're older than Chad Henney by wow. two months. Wow. I mean, Our... he played. He was in college with what Mario Manningham, like, and he caught that pass for the Giants like twelve years ago. That's like that's ridiculous <laughs> that's how long Henney's, Henney's been in the league. That is a valid point. They were making about points LA. about how Henney was the quarterback of the Jaguars ten years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. Brady only had three Super Bowls back then. Oh man. Anyway, shout out to Chad Henney. But uh yeah, a real gutsy performance. And uh I don't know, do I root for the Bengals or do I root for the Bills? I'd like to have it at home, but I think we match up against the Bills better. <laughs> I, I I posed the question on my Twitter account. You lost to both teams. We are not well, but we in the playoffs, Josh Allen falls apart. We know that. So I just I, I I'm perturbed by the thought of all those stupid freaking Bills Mafia people, you know, going to Atlanta. I, I I worry about that, but I still think I prefer I still think I prefer the Bengals. I think I think I'd rather stay at home. There's no way we can't lose them four times. That's not possible, right? I that don't just, know. That can't. It's a four. It's like what Clint Howard says in Apollo 13. It's a quadruple failure. That can't happen. <laughs> got to be instrumentation uh all right well let's uh we let's get into uh movie talk because we have a ton to talk about today as we are looking at uh the oscar nominations which are coming out very very soon 
hopefully before you listen to this podcast, because we're going to talk about who we think is going to get nominated. And then we have a deep dive today of a, of a classic from 30 years ago. So first, uh, Zach, I'm assuming it is still dry January. Uh, it absolutely is. Ten, 11 more days. Not, not like anyone's counting or anything. No, not all. <laughs> Todd, what do you got? I'm drinking some French wine. It's the Domaine du Mistral from 2020. And it's uh, nice. it's pretty good. I mean, it, it, it is, uh, it's not too dry, but it's not too sweet. I like it. Nice. So today, my wife was the one that made the run to the store, and I said, I need a six-pack while you're out there for the podcast. And and she came back with this, and it is, it's called the Bee's Knees. It's a honey ale, a Pilsner ale with honey. And uh, she got it because she thought the Bee's Knees was something Mrs. Doubtfire would say. Uh, but also she got it because it is done by Stickman Brewing Company. Wow. I don't think it's the first beer from them I've had on the podcast, but... Can we be a sponsor for them? I mean, I think we should be. I'm trying to see where they're at, where they're located. What would our beer taste like? Oh, something pretentious. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it, Oh, brewed and canned at Stickman Brewing Company in Tualatin, Oregon. So not that go. far from here. So it's pretty good. It's it's really light, uh, but it being really light, like look at it, it's it's a nice light beer, but it's still seven percent. So pretty good, pretty good. All right, let's get to what we've been watching, and then we'll go from there. And we're gonna start with Zach. Okay, so uh, this was a movie that we had contemplated uh, seeing together as a group. I I honestly don't know if you guys watched it or not. But I did go see Missing, uh, the mm. new uh, thriller. Um, it's not directed by Anesh Shigari, but he is a producer on it. Um, he's the guy that did Searching. Um, and uh, it is directed by Nicholas Johnson and Will Merrick. And I think they did the movie where it was uh, the girl on the, in the uh, wheelchair on Hulu. I can't remember that. That was a good one. Uh, they make good movies. Uh Anyway, this one, like Searching, is uh, entirely on a screen. Is that one called Run? Yeah, Run. They're not great at movie titles. That That <laughs> is the one area that they could improve on. Uh, they made, I think, numerous appearances on our most boring titles list. Mm-hmm. Uh, but fortunately, they're creative in other ways. So uh, Missing tells the story of June, and she's played by Storm Reed, And she's an angsty Gen Z teenager beginning of the movie. And she's on her screen all the time. And her mom and her mom's boyfriend are taking a trip to Columbia. And she gets all the house all to herself. And so she throws a big party. And, and then, sadly, what happens is mom and boyfriend never come back. She's there at the airport trying to do FaceTime with her mom. She's not there. FaceTime with my mom, like the song says. Uh, anyway, um, so uh, it leads to... minutes are essential. Exactly. So, you know, the movie is called Missing, and the first real hour of this movie is June trying to communicate with the Colombian authorities about trying to locate her missing mom. And, you know, if you're anyone over the age of 35, like me or Terry or Chad Henney, you will be reminded of uh, the great Missing from 1982, the Costa Gavras movie, also about 
a family split apart, um, a missing family member in, uh, I don't know if it was Colombia, I think it was a fictionalized South American country, but that's a cool movie with Sissy Spacek and, and Jack Lemmon. And so in a way, I sort of thought, I don't know if this was intentional homage to it, but kind of did some similar things. Um, and, uh, you know, June finds out some crazy information about her mom, and there's some real interesting backstory, maybe the boyfriend's a culprit behind it. Uh, I've enjoyed this movie. I mean, it was fun. It, uh, it went in some real unexpected directions, kind of like searching. It has a real heart <laughs> at the center of it. I think Storm Reed is a really talented uh, young actor. Nia Long plays her mom, Grace, and she's great in it too. The movie does get kind of batshit crazy in the last 20, 25 minutes, and I didn't love it. Um, I wish the movie had just kind of stuck to the whole, she has to communicate with, uh, the South American authorities and, but, uh, I won't say anything about why it goes off the rails, but uh, overall, I like it. She does have, I do have to mention that she has a person in Colombia that she contacts with that helps her out. Can anyone guess his name? I, th I think we know his name. It's Javi. Javi. Of course it is. Anyway, three, three stars. I enjoyed this movie. Not as much as Megan, but hey, listen, when you get two solid theatrical movies in January, it's some sort of miracle. And uh, this one's fun. I, I definitely enjoy it. Thumbs up. Todd, did you see this? No, I did not. I didn't either. I was I was planning on on uh, reporting on something new that I watched, but uh, I got a little under the weather under the weather this week. So I didn't get to the theater last night like I normally do. It's good that this one that this one uh, turned out good though. I like that. It's very good, and actually, I think it would make a great Netflix or Hulu watch. Per perfect for small screens too. All right, cool. Todd, what'd you watch? Uh, so I watched the movie that is sort of getting completely overlooked from awards uh, for this season, but I don't know why. It is uh, Thirteen Lives, uh, directed by Ron Howard. Oh, finally, nice. someone watched Thirteen wow. Lives. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> of course. The story made famous by the award-winning documentary, The Rescue, it is about a group of young soccer players and their coach in Thailand who explore some caves after practice, and then they get stranded there because of some flooding. So the Thai Navy SEALs uh, are dispatched along with a group of British divers who are, like, retired, but they go in to save the boys through, like, an insane six-hour swim both ways. And if you've seen the documentary, this is kind of old news, because, but it is still a compelling thriller because Ron Howard is sort of acting at the top of his game. He hasn't really made a good movie in like a decade, but I don't know. Here we are. He has like a really good production value to go with it. Like the set design, evidently the entire cave thing is all like production design, which is pretty amazing. And the sound mix is also some of the best of the year. It it makes me kind of curious about that movie he made in the heart of the sea. I never watched it. I just kind of uh, like ignored it, but uh, it'd be, I'd be curious to see what he did with like a really big production value. Um, I did watch it. it. It was decent. It was decent. Okay, well, that's good to the know. The production was good. The story was okay. If okay. he has really big production value, it would be the, the Grinch, which sucked. <laughs> well, yeah, that, there is that. Um, so anyway, this movie stars uh, Viggo Mortensen, Colin Farrell, and Joel Edgerton. They are the rescuers, and they all are kind of unassuming, and so they underplay it. Like, the characters themselves don't view themselves as heroes, so they don't really play it up to be, like, they are some heroes. It's kind of an interesting way to go. It, it's really old-fashioned sort of thriller, like something that would have been a big Oscar player in like 20 years ago, which is probably why Ron Howard made it. He kind of still lives in that era. Um, then the movie like really rushes through the first like 20 minutes. Like it gets to the caves really fast, and it takes you know a little while before like the 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 British uh, divers show up. 
which is weird because I mean it is like an insanely long movie. It's like almost two and a half hours. Like it has and it has the same beats and the same techniques as and even visually as the doc did, which makes it a little confusing about why the movie was actually made. In a, in, a, in a way, it reminded me in that way of The Walk, like coming out after Man and Wire was like mm. so cinematic. I, I don't really know why they needed to do this, especially so close to when the documentary came out. And there aren't really a whole lot of narrative things outside of what happens in the documentary. So you don't really feel like it's doing anything but reenacting what happened there. Uh, it could have been a mini series or something if they would have expanded and indulged a little bit in these characters' lives. But I just don't know if the characters are really all that interesting. Um, for me, like the execution reminded me somewhat of World Trade Center when it, it's like really claustrophobic, has really good production and it's really straightforward in how it's told, which I mean, it's not a bad thing. It works, but it's just not as special as I would hope it would have been since uh, the doc was obviously so great. And so I'm giving it two and a half stars, but it is definitely something you should check out. It, it still plays pretty well on your TV. Yeah. Isn't there another doc that either has come out or is going to come out that's like telling the story from the perspective of the kids yes yes that's why they mm-hmm. couldn't be in the in the jimmy chin chai Birishai documentary right because they had, they had signed out yeah i mean it will be interesting someone should write an insider book in a few years about the second that those kids got rescued to the second that those movies went into production because there must have been some hot shit bidding war on that I mean, that's why we get so many different, uh, you know, productions. But I guess one of my turnoffs was, you know, future Academy Award winner Colin Farrell as one of the divers. I mean, this guy's, you know, he's still like a pretty cool guy. If you watch those documentaries, those guys, those guys are goofy. Like it, they're old British dudes. Like it should be he plays played it by, pretty goofy. <laughs> he it should be played by fellow Best Actor nominee Bill Nahi. I mean, he should have been one of the divers. He's, he's a little too old. I think Vigo and Edgerton are, are, are inspired okay. casting. Yeah, they probably were. I, I'd be, I guess I'm just saying I'd be curious about Colin Farrell. But I mean, we're also talking in uh, about a year where he plays a character that looks like Richard Kind. That's so true. that's true. Can we just review a new Colin Farrell 2022 movie every week? Seriously, <laughs> yeah, the, four, I mean, the, like really solid movies. Solid movies, and we're going to be talking about. One or two of them, I'm sure, in a little bit as well. Cool. Yeah, I I keep on forgetting that that movie exists. I think that's why I haven't watched it yet because it was it, it was it was there and gone so quickly because it was just a, a prime drop that I, I completely forgot it existed. But the fact that it's that story and that it's Ron Howard, I need to watch it. And, yeah, it, and it has the word thirteen in it too. Well, it's a it's a that Ron Howard work. movie with the word thirteen in it true about a rescue i don't know i don't know why it's gotten no like oscar love i know it's on the short list for like visual effects and uh it was on some long list for the the baftas but that's probably because the british obviously look really good in this movie it's like the opposite of rrr but uh (laughs) um yeah i don't know having prime behind it too i you, you would think that it would have something going for it you know what would make a cool Mount Rushmore power ranking would be top documentaries that should be made into feature films. That would be fun. That would be fun. All right. Okay, go with that. Time for my watch. Uh, like I said, I didn't see anything new this week because uh, I I got sick, so I didn't get a chance to. I did text Todd earlier that I watched one of the uh, one of the Thin Man movies from back in the 
30s and 40s um, while I was homesick one day this week. But I'm here to talk about my Oscar watch. So for my Oscar watch, we're going back 30 years uh, to 1993. This is a movie. It was nominated for five Oscars. Two of them major categories. It won one below the line category. The Age of Innocence. The Age of Innocence. Well done. Wow. I thought I was going to have to go into a little more detail on that, but you, you got it. Good. Yeah, The Age of Innocence, uh, written and directed by Martin Scorsese. And I just kept, as I was watching it, I just kept thinking to myself, you've got a four-film run of Goodfellas, Cape Fear, The Age of Innocence, and Casino. One of these things is not like the other. And and it's The Age of Innocence. So this is... Uh, based on an Edith Wharton novel, a classic Edith Wharton novel, starring Daniel Day-Lewis, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Winona Ryder, where you have uh, Daniel Day-Lewis playing Newland Archer, who is engaged to be married to Winona Ryder's Mae Welland, who is in uh, an Oscar-nominated role. And he comes across the Countess Ellen Olenska, who is a woman that he knew when he was younger and has always kind of been in love with but she got married to someone else, but she's getting a divorce. She's now available. And he has this hidden love affair that kind of wasn't uh, as he's trying to decide what's best, if it's best for him to stay with who he is engaged to and eventually married to, or should he, should he go and be with the woman he's always wanted to be with? Uh, there, there's some other great uh, faces that pop up throughout this, like Richard E. Grant, a very young Richard E. Grant is in this. Uh, who uh, is a great potential douchebag. Uh, Miriam Margolis it was in an, a BAFTA-winning role uh, as uh, Mrs. Mingut, uh, and she pops up all over the place uh, in uh, Harry Potter, and she's also, if you ever watch any clips on YouTube of Graham Norton's show, she's a favorite guest on there because she'll say whatever the hell pops into her head. All right, I saw you guys love this movie. I got to admit, I was kind of disappointed by it. Uh, this is, uh, it's a great story. It, it is a classic story, but there's a few things that I couldn't stand. I could not stand the narration in this movie, uh, narr narrated by Joanne Woodward, not a character in, at all, just some, a third party narrator. Um, first it was really distracting because she narrated this with the same cadence that Gloria Stewart narrates Titanic. Um, which really threw my wife and I off as we were watching it. But uh, also, the, w the, the way it's narrated, the words that are used, it feels like you're watching uh, you're watching like a reenactment of a, an audiobook. Like it feels like you're listening to the book being read and the, the actors are like reacting to the narration. It, it's, it's weird. Um, it, it's almost like Scorsese didn't trust that his actors could portray certain emotions. So he just said, all right, Daniel Day-Lewis, just stand there and stare into space. And then the narrator will tell everyone what you're actually supposed to be telling everyone in in this moment. It, 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 it didn't work for me at all. Also, it's got some really weird editing and jumps in, in the story that make no sense at all. I don't know. I, I, I was intrigued by the story and it's, it's well, the, the story is really cool. And the, 
the directing is great, but the editing is weird, and I really didn't like that narration. I'm going two and a half stars. Um, it, it was it was a disappointing effort. I I gotta admit. I mean, a film like this from Scorsese, I was expecting something different, and not that kind of different. So terrible. Boo! Do we have the boo button still? Oh, I can <laughs> find it. I, I think I, I think I, I deserve it on this one. Let me find. You it. sound like Otto. Otto's review of uh, this movie, just you know, old and grumpy. It was not, it's a little lengthy. It was. It was <laughs> quite quite lengthy, long yet distinguished. Yeah, I don't know. It, Call me a call me an old grumpy man, but that's that's how I felt. I mean, those transitions and the jumps. I mean, you have seen a Scorsese movie, right? I mean, uh, yeah, you did see Raging yeah. Bull and Taxi Drive. You know that he's fond of that. Him and Thelma like the jump cuts and the tr- weird cross dissolves. And it stuff. just and felt really weird in in this setting to have that stuff. And the the narration. It was really mainly the narration. It just didn't work at all. Who doesn't like Joanne Woodward? classic I no, no problem with her it's just the 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 fact that it narrated the way it did like there were multiple times where we just watched daniel day lewis stare and in, stare into space for 30 seconds while joanne woodward told us what he was thinking it's like what daniel day lewis already a one-time oscar winner now a three-time oscar winner can't show that it through his through his acting that this is what he's thinking come on trust your actors Wow. So what movie did you skip last week, Terry? Oh, I could talk about that. Because um, it's another one I didn't necessarily love. It was a 2013... Uh, hold on one second. It was a 2013 movie. Let me look it up. forgot I, I, I skipped one last week. Yeah, I didn't love it either. Uh, two-time nominee for... Hold on, pulling it up here, pulling it up. Two-time nominee for cinematography and costume design in 2013. Anna Karenina? I don't think it was that year. No. That was the year before. I don't know. I already I saw it see, on the you website. You saw me post it on the website. Yeah, it was the Grandmaster. I don't even know what that is. And you it's, didn't like uh, it. Wong and Kar Wai. Oh. Two and a half star movie. Wong Kar Wai uh, about uh, telling the story about Ip Man. Uh, the... Uh, the martial arts legend that uh eventually trained bruce lee uh tony leong zhi zhang uh yeah it was another one that the narr- the the way the to- story was told was really really weird i had trouble following what was going on uh the visuals were cool uh and the costumes were cool but the story was just told so awkwardly two and a half stars i don't know Giving thumbs down to a Scorsese movie and a Wong Kar Wai movie on the same episode. Nice. Yeah. Film Twitter isn't going to like you. Apparently not. Apparently not. This movie got Oscar nominations. I, I don't remember this movie at all. I yeah. saw it in the theater. It's, it's worth a watch. It, 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 there's some cool fight scenes in it. But yeah, it it's it goes a weird... It, it Just the way it tells the story. It Talk about jumps. It has completely ridiculous jumps in there so all right let's move on 
we do not have a featured review this week because we you could say instead of a featured review, we have a featured preview. See what I did there? Oh. Because coming out this Tuesday, January 24th, is the day we wait for all year, every year. It's the day that we find out who makes the Baseball Hall of Fame. I think it's going to be probably just Scott Rowland, but I'm hoping Billy Wagner and Todd Helen get into. Actually, Tuesday is that day also. But it is Oscar nomination day. Uh, you, and, were, uh, you really wanted that joke to work. I, I did. I did. You had I high really, expectations really for that. It, it was, I, I mean, it's true though. It's the same day. I mean, it, it, it's it's putting these two things. It's, it's going to be awesome. Total mind meld there. Oscar nomination day. Oscar nomination morning is this Tuesday. So we're going to go through and talk about who we think is going to be up for the big awards come March. Uh, so make sure, one, you read Todd's article. He's already put out his final nominations. You can find them on our website, almostsideways.com. There's links for it everywhere there. Uh, check out all of his uh, all of his predictions that he's had all throughout the year because his first prediction for this was back in January. So you can check that out. I may try and call you out on some of those uh, early predictions, Todd, because some of, I'm impressed. This this year you did a really good job, I think. Um, Thank you. Well, speaking of, I my my new article for next year's Oscars should be out tomorrow morning at some point. Nice. So, so by the time everyone's listening to this, it should be out. Yes. Oh, okay. All right. Awesome. So you can see what'll be up for for next year's Oscars. Already before this year, next year's Oscars. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yes, I just quoted NFL 2K5, Todd. You're welcome. Yeah, I know. I I, I was thinking about that too. That's a joke that only the two of us are going to appreciate. Uh, so we're going to look at the main categories. Todd's got every category. Uh, once the Oscars are, the nominations are announced, also be looking for our Oscar challenge on all our social media platforms and on almostsideways.com. So you can sign up for who you think is going to win. But let's get into this. Uh, we're going to start with Todd. You're going to start with each of these since we already know what yours are. Uh Let's go with you first, and I want to hear, uh, let's start with Adapted Screenplay. Who are the five you've got up for Adapted Screenplay? Okay, this is not the strongest category. I actually don't think that any one film is locked into a nomination. Uh, my frontrunner right now is Living, uh, second place, uh, Women Talking, third place, The Whale, fourth uh, Glass Onion, Knives Out Mystery, and fifth place, All Quiet on the Western Front. Impressively, you have had women talking in this lineup since January, Todd. Yeah. Impressive. I, unfortunately, it has taken a huge nosedive along with She Said. So I, it <laughs> my, has. My, the top of my, my predictions are not super strong from January. All right. So, so yeah, so Todd's got Living Women Talking, The Whale, Glass Onion, All Quiet on the Western Front. Zach, what do you have? I have four out of those five. I have uh, Glass Onion, Living, The Whale, and Women Talking. Um, the one that I don't have is All Quiet on the Western Front, which I'm not quite as bullish on overall as Todd is, even though he's predicted that for a long time, and I think he's just sticking to his guns at this point, if I were well, to Well, I mean, and I don't consider the but... Baptist to be an actual precursor anymore, but they absolutely adore that movie. It got, like, the, the second most nominations ever. 
So if the British are going to get behind that movie, then I it's got to it, this is it seems like an easy one. OK, well, I'm going with she said uh, I don't I don't follow the other awards as much, but uh, I feel like uh, this is a cat. They're not going to give it a, a best picture nomination, but I feel like it needs some love somewhere. And it's been on people's radars for a long time, even though it didn't really make much of a splash. So it feels almost like a, an afterthought nomination. That's not bad. Uh so uh what i'm going with i've got i've got four of the five as well which one did you have leave off zach all quiet, quiet and Westbrook run. yeah okay i i'm leaving off living uh from todd's his front runner <sighs> that's, i'm that's leaving the front off runner i agree with todd about that um and i'm i'm th- i'm taking some big swings because nothing ever goes as planned i mean everyone thought they knew what was going to happen last year and then they didn't nominate denis villeneuve for director so i mean who knows what's going to happen so I've got I've got women talking. I've got the whale. I've got glass onion. I've got all quiet, and I've got Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio in my fifth slot. That'd be the first non-Pixar animated movie to get nominated in the category. I, I mean, if it's gonna happen, can uh, Guillermo? I could see Guillermo del Toro getting it. So, is this one of the weakest best adapted screenplay lineups of all time? Potentially. It, yeah, it's pretty bad. Not that these are necessarily bad movies, but none of they're not gonna none of these are gonna win Best Picture. And the reason why I think Living is the front runner is because it's by a well-known highbrow author, Kazu Ishiguru. And uh that's the big, I think, draw of it. Not that anyone's actually seen this movie. That's that is a valid point. So, um, well, Top Gun Maverick is, is a possibility, but I mean it got like the scripter nomination and some other things. I mean it that it's, would be yeah, if it, it gets seems like this. a stretch. It, I mean, it's like it, it would be like when Logan got nominated or something. It's like really, but okay, I guess it really was that popular. So speaking of that, uh, Adam sent in his predictions as well. So he's got women talking, he's got living, he's got glass onion, he's got all quiet, and he's got Top Gun Maverick. Okay, so he's got that solidly, and he, he goes women talking one. Living two, Top Gun Maverick three, Glass Onion four, All Quiet five. So he's living out, leaving off the whale. He's leaving off the whale. Okay. This would be a Which... good category to go bet on at the uh, on Oscar night. If we, I think we could get a good some good value on Living winning. So it's Todd, just, you're five so wide open. Your five back in January were uh, Poor Things number one. Whatever happened to that? Uh, it hasn't come out yet. That hasn't is, come out yet. Okay. That's yeah, going to be a like a. Christmas release or something this year. So then she said to the sun three, which is what I was actually going to go see tomorrow or last mm-hmm. night when I didn't go women talking four, and light year five. Wow. That aged well, but it, it, I mean, it, I, it made sense at the time, but yeah, not. I mean, two, two of the toy story movies had gotten nominated for screenplay. I, I, I don't feel bad about that. All right, are we ready okay. for original screenplay? Because original I, I, screenplay. I think this one's the easiest to predict of any Todd, of these categories. Todd, you go first. All right. Uh, I don't know what's winning, but my nominees are The Banshees of Inishirin, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, Tar, The Fablemans, and I have Triangle of Sadness as my fifth spot, although there are a few other ones that could make it in. That one seems like the, the original, like a most original uh, screenplay. Zach? Yeah, I have the exact same five. I mean, the more interesting question is what movie could 
make the list that we're not thinking of. Maybe after Sun, maybe Elvis, but I don't Babylon, I don't, Babylon potentially. But I, the, you know, the, the strengths of those movies are not their screenplays necessarily. So I think this is the easiest category to predict. Yeah, Adam and I both have the exact same five as well. Um, and and I was looking at it because it's like, okay, this is a pretty solid five. I'm like, what could sneak in here? I'm like, no. Triangle of Sadness is the one that's going to sneak in there. And have you guys I mean, seen that yet? By the way, yeah, it's it's absolute garbage. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I, I hated the middle part of it, but I liked the end. I thought it actually redeemed itself in that last act really nicely. I but have not seen it. Middle part's pretty unwatchable. Though. I, I don't really get Ruben Ostlund. Like uh, I've seen a few of his movies, and I don't. I'm never on the same wavelength as him. All right. So yeah, I think we're pretty solid there. We're not talking as much about winners. Like I looked at this, not necessarily who I think is going to win as my number one, but who I think for sure is getting nominated, which I think applies pretty well to the next category we're going to talk about, which is supporting actress. Cause I think the biggest lock is not necessarily the favorite. We have to see who gets nominated before we see who the favorite is. Todd, tell us yeah. who your, your five are for supporting actress. Well, the only lock I think is Carrie Condon for the Banshees of Nishiran. And then after that, it's, sort of like anything could happen i have angela bassett for black panther wakanda forever she's gotten nominated and won most of the places she has to hong chow for the whale jamie lee curtis for everything everywhere all at once although i'm not entirely sold on that and dolly de leon for a triangle of sadness i think barely squeaks out um michelle williams getting in for her uh supporting for the fablemans michelle williams is the conundrum yeah i was of the entire oscar season I was confused by why you even put her there. I mean, they're, they're not they're not lobbying. Is this like a Barry Fitzgerald situation? You know, you get nominated for the same role in both categories. You they don't it, like supposedly when they put their ballot or they get they give them the list of performances they could nominate. They don't put leader supporting next to it. So that's how like Lakeith Stanfield got nominated for supporting because uh, they didn't know. So they just people start voting for him there but i think but supposedly michelle williams is having a push to put herself back in supporting because it's looking like her getting nominated for best actress is not especially happen. especially after she missed the bafta long list that that's really what what made it feel like there's some category fraud going on and it's splitting her vote so yeah, yeah spoiler you've got you'd have her not getting nominated anywhere so which, which is fascinating um zach what are your five? Oh, actually, before we do that, really quick, going back to original screenplay, Todd, back in January, you got oh two of the five um, or two of the five you you have still in there. You had Banshees and you had Tar back in January. Your other f your other three were Babylon, which still might get in there. Men. Yeah, <laughs> because it was uh, Alex Garland and The Lost King. What was that? Yeah, I don't know what happened to that movie. It was, um, I think that's like a Stephen Frears movie written by like Steve Coogan or something. Oh, wait. Did I just see a trailer for this recently? I think it was nominated for like some British Independent Awards or something, but I, I don't know. I, I, I honestly had forgotten that movie existed. <laughs> yeah. Zach, what are, what are your supporting act actress nominees? I have four of Todd's five. I have Angela Bassett, Hong Chao, Carrie Condon, and Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, I do not have Dolly De Leon, even though she is the best part of that movie. Even you can admit that, right, Todd? I mean, she that 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 sure. she was really good in that. Um, but uh, I have instead um, Stephanie 
Tzu, Hu Tzu. I'm not sh- sure how to pronounce it, but uh, you know, I think like that movie's gonna. I, what are what, what what's the shot that it could get 15 nominations? Like, I I would maybe take money on that. I could see the big, you know, announcement. I, I don't think it got on all the shortlists. I don't think it could get that. Oh, okay, well, it's it's probably gonna be the leader, right? I don't have it as a leader. Oh, okay. Well, it's it's certainly a contender, but anyway, I think you know, I I uh, there, I think there's been a lot of kind of an emotional appeals over the last few weeks to include Stephanie Sue on the on the list. Well, my rationale is she doesn't like she's the one that all the young people are lobbying for, but they're not the ones that vote for the Oscars. Like I, I think that there's a disconnect between that character and the people that are going to be voting for the Oscars. That's why I think they'll go with the champion of the movie, which is Jamie Lee Curtis, it's and fair. I don't think they're both getting in. The Lost King. I totally saw a trailer for this last time I was at the movies a couple weeks ago. Um, yeah, okay. Stephen Furs directed, written by Steve Coogan, starring Sally Hawkins. It's about uh, yeah, she plays a historian that is searching for the remains of Richard the Third. Ooh, what's well, a Stephen Fears movie? So it makes sense why Todd would have predicted it. Exactly. All right, uh, my five. I've got I've got Carrie Condon. I've got Angela Bassett. I've got Jamie Lee Curtis. I've got Hong Chow. And I have Jesse Buckley for Women Talking slipping in. I think one of the Women Talking ladies still gets in there. Yeah, I would pick her over uh, Dolly DeLeon. She would be my my sixth. My question was, do I go with Jesse Buckley or do I go with Claire Foy? I'm going with Jesse Buckley because she's the the repeat. She's already been nominated where they seem to enjoy screwing over Claire Foy like they did for First Man. Yes, it's because she's not American. It uh, looks like Adam has the same five as Zach, Bassett, Chow, Condon, Curtis, and Shu. So, I, I'm My, feeling uh, like in oh, the Valley ahead. of Ela nomination out of nowhere would be Rooney Mara for Women Talking because she's be the one nowhere. that they they kind of like said that she was lead, even though none of them are lead. I don't think any of them has more screen time than anyone else, and she is one of the better parts of the movie. So, it'd be interesting if they all like. The first time she appears anywhere would be in supporting actress. Todd, do you still feel as though Carrie Condon is the the front runner in this category? I've always thought that she kind of was the Tilda Swinton and Michael Clayton of this category, where it's like, I mean, the movie's going to win somewhere. And she's a very, very good part of a great movie. And I, I think that she's a, a, a uncontroversial uh, winner. So I think that's what I look up. And I think if, if like, like you said, I think Carrie Condon is the only lock, is the surest lock. But if Angela Bassett gets in, she's winning. I would agree with that. I think you gotta, you, you gotta go with the, the 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 lifetime achievement. She gave a good speech at the Golden Globes. I guess the question would be if those highbrow voters don't want to give it to a Marvel movie. But this is more than just a Marvel movie. I mean, it is the uh, first poached Chadwick Boseman black panther mm-hmm. movie so i don't know uh, i think the lifetime achievement vote could go to jamie the curtis though so i don't, I don't yeah but she's i mean i i don't understand the love for that i don't understand the love for that movie but it, she's like only in that movie for like i want to say 10 minutes right i mean her scenes yeah. are kind of spread out but like she hasn't except for putting on a lot of makeup and you know a fat suit there's not a whole lot there i i, I the difference is she's gonna be happy to be nominated because she's never been nominated before Angela Bassett's been nominated before and her so her award will be getting the win. 
That's what I. That's what I think. All right, supporting actor Todd. Wait, tell where, us. Where, where am I in the oh. January? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yours back in January. Uh, your winner was Gene Smart for Babylon. Yeah, uh, that could have happened. It could have. <laughs> then you had. Uh, then you had Gina McKee for My Policeman. Wow! Did anyone see that? I I still haven't seen that. Then you had Zoe Kazan for She Said, hmm. which was more of a that's more of a lead performance. Uh, Greta Gerwig for White Noise that that's not a bad stab. And then simply not knowing what the movie was going to be, you had Daniel Deadweiler for Tear for Till. Yeah, at least I sniffed that one out. I just I, I didn't know that she was actually going to be the focus of the movie. Yeah, yeah <laughs> she is the movie. <laughs> All right. Supporting actor Todd, tell us who's losing to Kiki Kwan. Uh, yeah, it's going to be the weirdest best supporting actor winner I can think of. Uh, Kiki Kwan and, and is... It is it is the biggest lock at the like post pre nomination lock that we've had in a long long time. I feel like probably for, so you know, like especially last year best actor. <laughs> so, okay. Well, yeah. Okay. Fine. Whatever. Go ahead, Todd. Uh, Kiki Kwan. Uh, I have uh, winning, and then I have uh, Brendan Gleeson and Barry Keegan for Banshees of Nishiran. They're both locked for sure. Uh, and then I have I have Paul Dano for The Fablemans. I I'm not 100% sold on it, but I, I feel like he has his two performances this year are going to get him in. And uh, then I have Judd Hirsch with the the Judy Dench and Belfast nomination getting in the fifth spot because I still. After everything, I still feel like Eddie Redmayne feels like a snub. Like I, I, I still can't picture that being called on a nomination <laughs> morning. And it seems like the little things, or like the the Jared Leto movie. I don't know. It, it's it'd be such a weird supporting actor nominee. So I, 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 I got to stick with Judd Hirsch, but I don't feel good about it. Well, especially because that means you've got two movies double nominated in the category. That just feels weird. I think I, I heard "Come to the Stable" was part of the last time that happened. <laughs> well, then it's got to happen. We got to make it happen. <laughs> All right, Zach. I have the exact same five, uh, and mostly I have it just to piss Terry off that Judd Hirsch will get nominated because because we t- that was something that offended him so much about that movie and that it now has to happen. It can't not happen, right? Well, and now people are saying, "Oh, Jud- Judd Hirsch is going to get in over Paul Dano. It's going to be yeah, like uh, I think he's like more Judy likely Dench to get getting in over, in over uh, Katrina Balfe last year for Belfast." Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I've uh, Adam's got the same five, by the way. I I took a swing. Uh, I left off Judd Hirsch, and instead I put Brad Pitt for Babylon in the last slot. See, then that'd be yeah. another really weird nomination, too. I. I don't know. I, I it feels like he he needs the follow up nomination after his win. It, it's about as meaty of a performance, it, potentially even more meatier of a performance than the one he won for. So, I love Todd's comparison of Eddie Redmayne to The Little Things. I think that's a great way of looking at that movie, which no one has seen because it's streaming. And uh, the only one, I mean, it it's really just about that fifth slot. And the only one that I thought kind of thought about was Ben Whishaw because Todd, of course, predicted him because it would be on brand for the Academy to give it to the only man in women talking, which was a great comment, four-star comment by Todd. So, But I just can't do it. I, I don't think that movie has had any sort of traction with the Academy. It's got to be one of the more disappointing uh, Oscar campaigns of this year. 
All right, Todd, you want to hear how you did in January? Yes. Your winner in January was Toby Maguire for Babylon. And his See, teeth they, were pretty awesome. If his part was bigger, I think it could have worked. It could have worked. It could have worked. You didn't know it was the Alfred Molina of the movie yet. No. Uh, then your uh, runner-up was Bill Murray for the greatest beer run ever. Ooh. Again, taking a swing on hoping the part was bigger. I could see it. Yeah. Third was I'm feeling I feel like is another one that's the exact same thing. Stanley Tucci for I want to dance with somebody. He's in that. He plays Clive Davis. Wow. Yeah. He he discovers Whitney Houston. Then yeah, you had I feel okay about that. <laughs> yeah. Then you had Rami Youssef for Poor Things, which as you said, still doesn't come out. Yeah. And your fifth slot went to Judd Hirsch for a movie called Showing Up. Wow. <laughs> the Kelly Reichardt movie. I don't even know if that came out. I don't know if it did it. either. Banner uh, year for Judd Hirsch. Gooey <laughs> is back in the mainstream. Then you had then you had Judd Hirsch winning in October. So this is this is your third iteration of your uh, of your nominees. And at least in October, you knew a little bit of what was happening. You were you were shooting completely blind back last January. Okay. Supporting actress Todd, what do we what do we see happening here? We just did supporting actress. Or sorry, no, not supporting actress. Best actress. That's what I meant. Best actress. Um. So I still have Kate Blanchett winning for Tar, and then I have Michelle Yeoh getting nominated, of course. And then after that, it gets a little murky. I have Viola Davis because she is like the queen, and she's always going to get nominated. Uh, Anna De Armas for Blonde. She's gotten nominated everywhere she has to. And Daniel Deadweiler for Till, which I, maybe I should flip those two, but it doesn't really matter. They're, I think they're both getting in. I think this is pretty secure. I don't. I, mean, I, I still don't think Michelle Williams getting it. Zach, what do you got? I have four of those five. I have Kate Blanchett, Michelle Yeoh, uh, Viola Davis, and Ana de Armas. In my fifth slot, I have Michelle Williams. I have Blanchett and Yeoh. They're, they're locks. They're in. I've got Ana de Armas. I've got Michelle Williams. And my fifth slot, as you were describing Viola Davis, you could have said you were describing somebody else. And that's who I'm going with as a surprise nominee on nomination morning, Olivia Coleman for Empire of Light. So you don't have Viola Davis getting in or Daniel Deadweiler? Nope. Nope. I mean, they both got SAG and BAFTA nominations. It would be kind of amazing that neither of them would get in. Yep. But, but that's why happens. you're drinking that's why a stick man beer. You gotta, you're I'm, I'm, take, I'm taking the shot. Yep. Okay. got to take a shot at it. Liquid Courage. I, she she's she gets nominated at, whenever she's in a movie at this point. And it is her showiest performance since The Favorite. I mean, she got in for The Father. She got in for The Lost Daughter. I, I think I, I don't know that this movie has been completely forgotten, but I can't think that Olivia Coleman has been completely forgotten. What about the late surge for Andrea Riseborough? Yeah, I've heard about that. It'd be like a Charlotte Rampling nomination or something. Yeah. I don't know. I had to take a swing. That's where I, I, I went with Michelle Williams still getting in for a lead. And then I'm going with Olivia Coleman. It wouldn't shock me because with Andrea Riseborough, because I think they're all corrupt assholes and you're telling me that we went 12 weeks, 12 out of the 13 weeks of Oscar voting. And just on that last week, everybody decided to vote for Coda, and that's why Coda won. I mean, they're all corrupt. 
So I could see them saying, oh, let's listen to Kate Winslet and all these people on social media praising her and let's be trendy. Let's give it let's let's give her a nomination. I think it's in play. Uh, I think it's more likely than Olivia Coleman. Uh, so Adam has uh, has one on his list that we haven't even mentioned yet. He's got Blanchett. He's got Yo. He's got Viola Davis. He's got Michelle Williams. And then his fifth slot goes to Margot Robbie for Babylon. Wow. That's kind of out of nowhere, but not impossible. Also a repeat nominee. I mean, she's been nominated before. Yeah, and it's it had the SAG ensemble nomination. So if they want to give it to somebody in there, I think it's more likely than than Brad Pitt getting in. So I don't I know. I mean, I feel like they had to give give the SAG ensemble nomination to it since like the entire SAG community was in that movie. True. Terry, so, isn't your argument fraudulent that they just love Olivia Coleman, but somehow they don't love Viola Davis? I mean, can't you say the exact same thing about Viola Davis? Yeah, that's what I for said. A movie you that say more it about both. Saw? You could say it about both. I, I don't know. It just feels like uh, Olivia Coleman is more the the uh, is more the it person right now than Viola Davis is. I don't know. She's been nominated more recently. It, I don't know. It just it it just feels right there there's not there's nothing british about what we've been what we have in this list there's got to be a, there's got to be a british presence that's true yeah, yeah. i don't know <laughs> banshees isn't set in the uk or anything i don't know uh, that that's irish it's very different <laughs> all right uh oh back back to january todd you in january you had winning Carrie Mulligan for She Said. So you mixed up who the lead and who the supporting was there. By yeah. the way, she could also be that fifth that fifth spot in supporting actress. Carrie Mulligan could still sneak in. She got a BAFTA nomination. Uh, you had Naomi Aki for I Want to Dance with Somebody, which felt like it could happen until people saw the movie. Uh, Kate Blanchett for Tar, you had in. You had Sally Hawkins for The Lost King as, because you thought, yeah. And Regina King for Shirley. Which didn't come out. Which didn't come out. Okay. So, wasn't there a movie with Shirley with Elizabeth uh, Moss that we reviewed once? Yeah. Yeah, yes. a few years ago. That's right. She All was right. a writer of some kind. I yeah, know. I remember that. It was a true. She was a real life writer. I just can't. <laughs> yeah. uh, the the, the uh, she won. She wrote the lottery. Shirley Jackson, I think, was her name. That sounds right. Todd, best actor. All right, so there's four that are going to happen. There are Brendan Fraser for The Whale, Austin Butler for Elvis, Colin Farrell for The Banshees of Nishirin, which any of those could win. Uh, Bill Nye for Living is also absolutely getting nominated. And the last one, I, I've heard about like things where, I think it's been like 60, 70 years or something since all five in this category were first-time nominees, but I'm going with it anyway. I'm going with Paul Mescal for After Sun. Uh, I... I think that, like like Tara saying, needs some British presence. Even though it was a big hit with BAFTA, I think uh, I think he still has a better chance than anybody else below him. I just a lot of those just don't seem like I, I can't see Tom Tom Cruise getting nominated. I can't see Hugh Jackman getting nominated. Paul Mescal. Well, I have Tom Cruise in that slot, that fifth slot. But it, it I I don't know. It it, it feels. It feels like he should get in. 
By the way, we also talked about how uh, that we thought that fifth slot and supporting actor potentially could be Colin Farrell for the Batman uh, and give him the double nomination. That would be fascinating. That would be fun. Yeah, I've got I've got Tom Cruise in that fifth, fifth slot, but you're right. There's four locks. What's interesting is this is really a three-man race right now between Austin Butler, Colin Farrell, and Brendan Fraser. It's just going to be interesting to see which one gets it. Zach, what do you have? Uh, I have the same five as Todd. I really want to be contrarian and not go with Paul Mescal. I want to go with like Tom Hanks or, you know, uh, uh, maybe the guy from All Quiet on the Western Front or Adam Sandler. I can't quite do it because they announced that Paul Mescal is is in Gladiator 2. They have to say in in the promotion that it's Academy Award nominee Paul Mescal. And he does kind of have a young Russell uh, uh, Crowe vibe. I saw a movie with Russell Crowe earlier this year called Proof, which was, and he was like Paul Mescal in that movie. He was like, you know, 25, 30 years old. He looked like him. He acted like him. It's inspired recasting. Um, but anyway, yes, uh, I, 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 I would love to say something outrageous. I'll, I'll leave it for the podcast. Actually, I do have an outrageous pick in another category coming up. So, Well, Adam has the exact same five as well. So, uh, so we'll see. We'll see. Todd, we, we haven't been hearing your um, your your ELA picks. Your uh, T- oh. Tommy Lee, the, and and you 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 said it for supporting actress, and we got to give a little context here. Todd always gives the uh, the in the the Tommy Lee Jones for In the Valley of ELA nomination because that nomination came out of freaking nowhere. So so the the kind of makes sense if it came out of nowhere. Pick um, uh, keep keep us up to date on on those ones here, Todd. Okay, well, so for supporting actor, I had uh, Anthony Hopkins for Armageddon Time. Obviously, people just love Anthony Hopkins. And that, I mean, that movie has been forgotten. But if they're going to say something about it, it probably would be something like that. Um, and for best actress, I had uh, I have Vicky Creeps for uh, Corsage, which, I mean, she hasn't really gotten a whole lot of awards love, but I mean, neither did Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of these these foreign nominees that just pop up at the last second or like uh, Marion Cotillard for Two Days, One Night. It could be one of those if they really like the movie and that would be good for chance for it. It's a international film nomination. And for Best Actor, the one that Terry and I agree is like the for the spirit of the award. Yeah, uh, absolutely. The, is uh, the best chance. And that's Tom uh, Tom Hanks for A Man Called Otto. Because in in two, in two thousand seven, when Tommy Lee Jones was getting that nomination for In the Valley of Ela, he was SAG nominated for supporting actor for the bigger Oscar movie No Country for Old Men, and then he doesn't get nominated for that. He gets nominated for this movie that nobody's really seen, and that would exactly be this thing. I mean, although Tom Hanks isn't really getting that much love for Elvis, uh, it is the big Oscar player, and A Man Called Otto. Basically, nobody has watched, and uh, but it's possible. The fourth best movie of the year. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And our, our our boy Clayton Davis at Variety, formerly of Award Circuit, has him has has the fifth spot. Yeah. Shout yeah, out. I, so it could happen. It could happen. It is very possible. All right. So Todd, looking at your best actor lineup from January, your winner was Coleman Domingo for Rusted. Yeah, which still has not come out. Uh, your I, number I, two. We talked about fairly recently. It was Christian Bale for the Pale Blue Eye. Yeah, that was a stab. I mean, Scott Cooper, you know, it, it could have happened. Number three still might happen. Hugh Jackman for the Sun. Yeah. Number four, Michael Fassbender for the Killer. 
Yeah, that is the Fincher movie that has not come out yet. Yeah, and then number five, you had Brendan Fraser for The Whale. Well, at least I had that. Oh, yeah. I see, this is the problem with my January predictions is that, like, I, I do have a lot of movies that end up not coming out because they're either, like, post-production and they never get released or, like, they're, like, nearing the end of production and they don't get done in time. So I don't even I don't even con, uh, consider them for my the following January nomination. So I'm, I may have gotten a couple more of these if they were late released or something. All right, director Todd, who who are your five? Actually, no, let's start with Zach this time. We'll start with Zach because okay. I, I yeah, go for it, Zach. We're just switching it up midway through. Why okay. not? All right, or, or All right. we can start with Todd. It doesn't matter. Sorry, go with Todd. Todd, just do you. We'll, we'll go. You go. It's more All fun right. to respond to Todd. I, I, right, my, especially since we already know what his are I, I have three that I know are getting nominated they are Steven Spielberg even though he didn't get nominated or BAFTA or even long listed he's still uh, probably the front runner then have the the Daniels uh, for everything ever all, all at once which is weird because the only double or like uh, co-directors get, ever gotten nominated are the Coens and they're not exactly the Coens but they're being treated like they are um, now I have uh, Todd Field in the third spot Martin McDonough uh, for the Vancey's Van Sheeran, I only have him not as a lock because they have done this to him before. But then again, they did do that to Todd Field and, and Baz Luhrmann in the same year, actually, uh, for Best Picture nominees. That's kind of weird. Uh, and then my fifth spot, I have uh, Edward Berger for All Quiet on the Western Front, which was my front runner in October. Uh, and nobody knew what I was talking about, but now they do. And I now move him down to number five because I now feel like it is too known and he might not get in. <laughs> <laughs> Zach, how about you? All right. Well, he Todd has to stick with Edward Berger. He's contractually obligated to. Uh, point, I yeah. I agree with the other four: the Daniels, Martin McDonough, Todd Field, Steven Spielberg. Now, the fifth pick is interesting. How many of these categories is the fifth pick the most interesting for? I mean, in many ways, that's the most uh, intriguing part about this year's Oscars. Uh, you got to go with a Powell Pawlowski pick. You got to go with something obscure, foreign, highbrow. Um, Park Chan Wook would fit the bill. S.S. Rajamuli for RRR would fit the bill. Even Darren Aronofsky in a way. Here's who I'm going with. And you can make fun of me all you want when it doesn't happen. But hey, it's a one in a million stab. And if I get it, I'm going to look like a genius. I'm going with Oliver Hermanis, the director of Living. Doesn't that seem like a highbrow pick, out, Powell Pawlowski type pick out of nowhere? Yes. We've seen picks like that before. Who is yep. that? <laughs> Oliver or Menace? I don't know. Who is that? <laughs> Never heard of any of his other movies. Well, it's, it's like when Hamaguchi got in thing. last year too. I mean, it it just it just kind of. I mean, he was in the nowhere. Best Picture nominee. True, true. Um, yeah, I mean, Pavel Polakowski is the the most obscure one. I mean, even with um, when Vinterberg got in, like it, the, there was the foreign film nominee or front runner. So it's like, I don't know if <laughs> this would be, this would be definitely out of nowhere. And I I'm kind of for it though. It does sound right. He's South African. He's 39 years old. So he's not exactly an industry veteran. You heard but... it here first, you know, Clayton Davis, friend of the podcast. You heard it here. Who's trying to I deserve Clayton credit. Like if that. this happens. All right. Yeah, Clayton Davis, by the way, his fifth spot. I, I noticed the other day was uh, Ruben Osland, which also That's another which, one that fits. Which, yeah, if you're, I mean, there is something to be said about just understanding what it's like to hear the nominations on nomination mornings. Like, of course, 
and Tony Banderas's name was going to get called after everyone said it wasn't going to. It's just something about it was like, oh, of course, that's the Oscar pick. Robin Ruben Austin does kind of feel like one that like he would take Martin McDonough's spot or something. So I have I have Spielberg, I have the Daniels, I have McDonough, I have Berger, and I have Todd Field getting snubbed for Baz Luhrmann. That's good on paper, but it just it doesn't feel like the the, the nomination process lines up with that. Yeah, and Todd, Todd Field has gotten He's missed out on too much stuff. He is that like Euro pick, like his his movie feels like the the Euro pick, even though it's even a bigger hit than that. But like That's I fair. said, like Todd Field and Baz Luhrmann have never been nominated for best director. So who knows? So Adam has a fifth spot. Go- He's got Spielberg, McDonough, the Daniels, Todd Field, and he has a fifth spot going to James Cameron. Yeah, I, I think we've all come to just realize that um, that's this is the two towers. They're taking this one off. Look at it to him for the next one. Yeah. But I mean, all right. it, I mean, it is James Cameron. Don't count him out. Todd, back in January, your winner was Maria Schrader for She Said. Yeah. And you had Damien Chazelle for Babylon. Which I don't know, still kind of feels like a good pick. Um, Yorgos Lanthimos for Poor Things, uh, Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans, and Martin McDonough for The Banshees of Inisherin. Wow. Not not bad. I mean, you were going for Poor Things, but and which never came out, but not bad, not bad. All right. Yeah, that that was a one of my better showings, I must say. <laughs> Picture. What do you got? Okay, so looks like I have five that I think are totally locked in. I have the Fablemans, everything over all at once, the Banshees of Inisherin, Tar, and Elvis, and then after that, uh, the ones that I think are most secure are probably Top Gun, Maverick, and now I'd say All the Quiet on the Western Front, and then I'm going with Avatar: The Way of Water, Babylon, and The Whale. And with its late surge and uh, surprising box office, I think takes uh, the, the last spot. Zach, uh, okay, I think I think I have nine out of those ten. Uh, I have Avatar: Way of Water, Babylon, Banshees, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Triangle of Sadness, and The Whale. What I don't have is Top Gun: Maverick. I Ooh. think that is the snub of the morning, and that is the big story of Oscar morning is fans up in arms that Top Gun Maverick doesn't get nominated and instead RRR sneaks in out of nowhere. Oh, maybe justifiably, probably not justifiably. Okay. Yeah. Top Gun Maverick. Uh, and that, that does seem like something that would happen. They want people to talk about the Oscars. They want to be highbrow. They're not going to nominate the summer blockbuster. They are too Im- important and self-righteous. Yeah, they're too busy nominating Avatar 2. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you can't give it to two of them. I mean, that's the other thing. Av- there is one lane for the big budget blockbuster, and Avatar 2 occupies that lane. All right. I'm going really far out there on mine. Uh, well, let me let me tell you Adam's first, and then I'll go through mine. So Adam has The Fablemans 1, Banshees 2, Everything Everywhere All at Once 3, Top Gun Maverick 4, Tar 5, Avatar The Way of Water 6, Babylon 7, All Quiet 8, Elvis 9, and Women Talking 10. He sees Women Talking still getting it. Here's like mine. It's only nomination? One adapted. Okay. Um, yeah. I thought he gave 
No, he didn't give a give a supporting actress to anyone. All right, I think there's five locks here. Like, I feel like more than any other year, we know. Like, if it was a field of five, the five would be everything, everywhere, all at once. Banshees, Fablemans, Top Gun, Maverick, Elvis. Like, I I feel like that that feels like a secure top five. It's what comes after over that. tar. Yeah, I would yes. put tar over Top Gun. But okay. No, no. I mean. T- yeah, like like I was I said before, like on the podcast, that I think Tar is more secure in director than it is picture. Like I mean, it it's one of, it's it's one of those movies. But okay, all right. Then I, then I've got I've got Tar, Avatar, and All Quiet as the as six, seven, eight. My nine and ten, I'm going out there. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio and Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. But why would they zag in that direction? If they're going to zag, it's going to be to not big blockbusters. In three sequels? <laughs> yeah. Four. Oh, no, three. Yeah, three. And then, uh, and yeah, three sequels. I don't know. It just feels, it feels like, and, and I, I mentioned it last, um, was the last week that we did the top tens? Yeah. It feels like this is a year where the art film's underwhelmed and i think i i feel like the academy is feeling that which is why top gun maverick's getting in it's why avatar 2 is getting in it's why elvis is getting in and i think they might they might zag in that direction to show the art the art cinema kind of sucked this year and it was the big budget stuff that that really rocked it's not like you had one of those movies as your number one of the year or anything well, that I think that one's secure. It, I, I'm, I'm, I didn't love either. I mean, Pinocchio was pretty great. I didn't love Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. But you I have feel Pinocchio like... getting a picture and an adapted screenplay nomination. Yep. <laughs> yep. The Pinocchio love. Uh, do, do I need to remind you that Nightmare Alley came out of nowhere and got a Best Picture nomination last year? Guillermo del Toro gets nominated. Okay. So, well, if that's the case, then why don't you predict him Bardo? <sighs> that's a great question, too. No one's seen Or Viola Davis. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's seen Pinocchio. I mean, they're both yeah, on Netflix. Who, who knows? Point. I don't know. Pinocchio kind of has some universal love by, by everyone that's seen it, though. Bardo has gotten very mixed reviews. Well, yeah, but so has Babylon. I think they're in the same boat. And I don't have Babylon in. You have Babylon in. I don't. So what's the if you were to categorize your picks as what's the biggest headline coming out of Tuesday morning based on your picks? On my picks? Sure. Yeah, each one of us. What's our what's our headline? I'll I'll, I'll say my headline. You guys can think of yours. My headline yeah, yeah. is Top Top Gun Maverick snubs, lots of snubs, and everything all at once uh, leads the nominations. And who is Oliver Hermanis? Hermanis. <laughs> Uh, my, my headlines are Tom Cruise gets, gets nominated. Uh, or yeah, gets the acting nomination and, uh, and double nominee. Cause he's a producer. Todd field gets snubbed and black Panthers nominated for best picture again. I, <laughs> I have no idea. And, and they love Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I have anything too crazy. 
you like all walk all quiet on the western front is a big winner in, in your picks. yeah i have that as the second leader in nominations behind the fable made almost every short list yeah i mean it, i could see all quiet actually getting in a couple places that i don't so maybe uh maybe this uh netflix war movie is it could it win best picture maybe that'll be the headline could it all quiet on the western front win best picture 90 years later all right todd looking back to january you know what your winner was yeah it was she said which still sounded like a great idea at the time it was a great pick and and, and for a long time it did uh so number two babylon number three poor things Again, if Lanthimos came out with the movie, it would have been up there. Number four, he's got the two Lo- movies coming out this year. Number four, The Lost King. Uh, number f- you, you overestimated uh, Stephen Frears a little bit there. Number five, Banshees. Number six, The Sun. Number seven, I Want to Dance with Somebody. Number eight, The Fablemans. Number nine, Women Talking. And number ten, Men. Men. <laughs> women Talking and Men. And she That's said. What she said. <laughs> Uh, if it had been called that's what she said it probably would have gotten more credibility <laughs> in the oscars <laughs> written by sasha baron cohen or something all right or michael scott well uh like we said tuesday the oscar nominations are coming out uh early morning it's a it's uh it's appointment television you gotta you gotta check it out will more uh, people not watch that than the baseball hall of fame bullshit I don't know. Baseball Hall of Fame is getting announced at like 3.15 p.m. Pacific I mean, time. What, what genius decided that this would be the same day that both of these stupid nominations would come out? Like, you've got 364 other days of the year. They had to be on the same day. That's okay. I'll, everyone's just going to be talking about the Oscars because I don't think... I, I think the most likely thing is no one goes into the Hall of Fame. No one gets it, so... Uh, that's what that's what they should do this year. If the movies suck, they shouldn't be nominated. And you said all the art movies sucked, so these movies shouldn't get nominated. I mean, when they there went to ten, be a winner. there shouldn't be a winner. The winner should be Vortex or Man Called Auto. There we go. There we go. So another thing I forgot to mention before is uh, we mentioned it last week, but we're doing the first annual Almost Sideways Awards. So uh, next uh, next month, we'll be announcing. Our our winners for best uh, best actor, best actress, supporting actor, supporting actress, all that fun stuff. And then we're gonna go through some other fun categories that are our uh, some of our favorites that we usually talk about in our deep dive episodes. Speaking of that, let's get to our deep dive. Yeah, because uh, that took a while, but we still have a great movie to talk about. A movie that we all God, hold near and dear to dive. our hearts from our childhood. It is. The 30th anniversary this year of Mrs. Doubtfire. You for Janaya Doubtfire. Papa's got a brand new bed. He's still the same old dad. Cool. Only better. Dinner is served, madam. So, uh, Zach is the biggest fan of this movie. No, so Colin much- Cowherd is. Colin Cowherd, yeah, because he said, didn't he say it's the best comedy of all like time? like the cross yeah, movie. Favorite comedy of all time. Favorite he likes Victor Victoria. He likes, it's, a re- uh, it's a real movie, just like Tootsie. <laughs> Tootsie's funny. 
He likes the Medea movies. <laughs> oh man. Big fan right. of Jack and Jill. Well, Zach, you uh we decided it was only fair if you hosted trivia. Yentl. So uh <laughs> so tell us uh tell us who's going first or what we're doing here. Oh, we're gonna do it Adam style. We're gonna do oh. a piece of paper. We gotta get through this shit, you know? We actually have right. to talk about a real movie and not some bullshit uh, academy bullshit, you know. So you're gonna write down your answers. We're gonna do this shit at the same time. I actually I like this method, you know. It's it's kind of fun, even though the listeners can't see anything. I'll be like uh, you know Marv Albert and describe describe the scenery nicely. There we go. We have a nice picture of uh, an attractive British woman in her mid sixties on the screen Beautiful. right now. Mrs. Doubtfire. There we go. Yes, she All looks right. a little Look bit like a she, she, <laughs> Yeah. Robin Williams is five seven frame. Like, you look like you could play for the 49ers. <laughs> well, she was a fullback, but <laughs> all right, British football. All right, uh, okay. I have eleven questions. It's always eleven questions. I have like eleven players on the field. First question: What is the name of the cartoon that Daniel voices? The name of the cartoon. Daniel voices. All right. And we're not talking about the Daniels. I don't know if they do voices. I have no idea. I have no idea either. But uh, the couple's uh, zero. Uh, Roger Mouse and Dom and Terry. Uh, no, the correct answer is Pudgy the Parrot. Oh, okay. It was a I was going for like Tom and Jerry, but just change up the letters of, the, of it. Yeah. All right. Two-part question. First word and last words of the movie. I mean, you you always pull that shit with me. So, by the way, I'm going to put out there that I've seen this movie more than any other movie not named Apollo 13. All right. Todd says, salutations and bye-bye. Terry says, Figaro and that. Well, you combined, you got them. You each get a point. Terry's right with the first word. It's Figaro. And Todd's right with bye-bye. No, I... Well, with the... You don't get you don't count the singing words. The first word spoken is, is uh, salutations. That's what the cat says. Uh, I went with Figaro. If it was if it was actually I would say I would say if it was like like a soundtrack drop or like a needle drop, sure. It's Robin Williams singing. He's singing. It, it's a I, part of the scene. Yeah, I'm giving Todd. That, a that's like point. saying like an almost famous the first word is from the chipmunk song. No, it's but, not. But yeah, it is exactly what it is. It is it uh, is que not. Qu questioning the question maker might make you lose points. Okay. Uh the uh <laughs> What is Miranda's Indian name? I think, I think oh. this is a play on Dances with Wolves, which was popular. Yeah, as a I don't remember what he said. I remember this the, the scene. Drives with colors and ass with a stick. <laughs> That's very uh, R-rated. I, I don't think that would sneak into a family movie, but uh, it's it a does... PG thirteen movie. That's I mean, true. It's... It is on brand for Robin Williams. It is <laughs> chops with a fist. Chops with a fist. Uh, all right, next question. This is a question. I like mine better. I, I, yeah. <laughs> this is a question my, my sister would know the answer to. What is the name of the band that Robin Williams claims he was in when he is, uh, uh, you know, prank calling Miranda as the first voice of a, a fake nanny? Says he was in a band. And uh, I, my sister and I have always thought it was a great band name. Um, I, you know. As a side note, I would get this question in, in a heartbeat. But you, you guys don't love this movie as much as me or Colin Calvert. It would be interesting to see if he would know the answer to this question. 
All right, Todd, the Grand, Grand Theft Auto name. Todd says, love Frisco. Fist. Fist. Love, love Fist. fist. <laughs> and the Flaming Torpedoes. No, the correct answer is severe tire damage. Great name for a band. <laughs> that is pretty good. Oh, man. It's probably a ska band, right? <laughs> He's from Britain. Um, how much will Miranda pay for a nanny? And I will go with whoever is closer. All right. Todd says 300 a week. Terry says 500 a week. Todd gets a point. It is 300 Dang it. Uh, a week, which in 1993 was quite a bit of money. Um, all right. Uh, what is the difference between Shelley Winters and Shirley MacLaine? And yes, this is a, a, a punchline to a joke. Um, uh, um. So Todd is correct. We'll see if Terry can, can get it. Uh, okay, uh, Terry says red hair dye and twine. I'll give you a half point for that. Todd, Todd got it correct. It is scotch tape and red hair dye. Oh, I knew it was something. But um, uh, okay. Uh, an another um, money related question. Uh, what is the total cost of the takeout dinner? Uh, that uh, that Daniel has to pay for, including um the late fee. Uh, and, uh, yeah, this delivery guy making a strong case for douchebag in the movie or, or punchable face. Maybe, maybe he'll come up a little bit later, but, uh, who's ever closer, I will give the point. Uh, and once again, Todd comes through very, very close. Terry says 140. Todd says That's 135. What 14. It's actually 135. 22, eight, eight <sighs> cents off. <It's> pretty impressive. <laughs> but he gives him 140 and asks if he has changed. That's true. <laughs> that is true. Um, but I'm asking for the cost of it. But he doesn't have change, so it costs 140. All right, I'll give Terry half a point. <laughs> okay, uh, next question: How uh, how long ago did Winston Doubtfire die, and uh, how did he die? Definitely one of my favorite moments in the movie is learning a little bit about uh, Euphigenia's prior life with with Winston Doubtfire. Not much of a stick man, uh, we gather. All right, Terry says eight years, and the drink killed him. Oh, Guinness nice. truck, which is correct. Todd says 14 years hit by a milk truck. Uh, I'll give Todd another half credit there, but Terry gets the full point. I get. I should get like three points for that because I gave the full. I got the years, and I gave the full line. Yeah, a half point. All right, I, feel, I think. Uh, oh, he I, was a drunk. No, he was hit by a Guinness truck. I think the milk truck was how uh, the guy in Banshee's mother and dad died. Or <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a great it. connection. Yeah. Ran over by a milk truck. <laughs> My mom just got ran over by a milk truck. <laughs> oh, well then, you better get home and see. I wonder mm -hmm. if Jenny the donkey was a part of the petting zoo that came to the Hillard house. <laughs> that's another crossover theory. Yeah. Uh, according to Mrs. Doubtfire, what should you be on your first date? It's a Terry, the Terry question. <laughs> yeah, that's the Terry question. <laughs> uh, a prude is not correct, although yeah. it's it's kind of close to I think what what she's trying to say. Conservative in how you dress, yeah, it's it's similar, but it's not the line. The line is you want to be Kilimanjaro on your first date. Oh, um, that's right. Yeah, you know, you get the you get the idea. But uh, it's a great. It's the only time I've ever heard that word not in a geographical uh, context. <laughs> context. Um, 
It's an interesting mountain choice. I would have gone with McKinley or maybe Rainier, uh, but Kilimanjaro, nice one. Um, all right. Uh, what is the name of the drink that uh, Jonathan Lundy orders? Multiple times. And, and this is disappointing. I was hoping we would have someone that would have a drink like this on tonight's podcast because I can't. Yeah, this is a Terry Sr. drink for sure. <laughs> uh, Todd gets the point. Nicely done. Terry eh, says, probably don't. I didn't. Uh, uh, scores, scores be, on the, rocks. be <laughs> on the rocks. No, it is a double Chivas on the rocks, which I didn't know uh, was a real drink, apparently. Chivas Regal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is a that is a senior drink. All right. And, and the last question um, with the score somewhat a runaway right now, six to three. But uh, maybe I don't uh, know. This one's worth four points. Uh, <laughs> what is the name of Mrs. Doubtfire's monkey? Oh, no. Oh, you wicked, wicked monkey. And uh, Todd gets it. So even if it had been a three or four point question. I, yeah, I, that's not coming to me. I mean, because no, we went to someone in high school had this last name. The correct answer is <laughs> Kovacs. Named for the great puppeteer Ernie Kovacs, apparently. Wow. So, with a score of either seven to three or ten to three, if that was a four point question, <laughs> Todd is the winner. We did that in record time. We did. Well, Zach, you're the biggest fan of this movie. Tell us, uh, tell us your experience with it. Well, listen, I mean, it's been a, a movie that's been a part of my life for a very long time. Uh, I can quote long passages from this movie. I was going to ask you what what table they sat at. Table thirty nine. I was going to say I knew that it was thirty nine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, you know, I I knew that as well. Uh, it's it. You could go like various levels of complex questions with this movie, but uh, it is a great movie and it's a great Robin Williams performance. Uh, it holds up, I think, very well. Although interesting in some ways. I think the big takeaway from me watching it this time for what must be about the 68th time is that I kind of feel like Daniel is an asshole. And I think that this movie stacks the deck in favor of him so much that we really come off at, with Sally Field as being a bitch in this movie. And uh, that was a big theme in 90s movies, short haired brunette women who are ex-wives being bitches to their comedian husbands. Can anyone else say the Santa Claus mom wife in that movie? Also <laughs> high-pitched voice. Uh, but anyway, uh, yes, so I, I, I'm not a huge fan of uh, Daniel's uh, gaslighting um, techniques. Um, I don't really think he's much of a stick man either, even though he tries to hit on that woman at the private club, uh, and that goes pretty terribly. Uh, and he, I guess, dated Tanya in another life, the the the, the coat girl who he gave the death stare to when she he tr she tried to take her bags. Anyway, I don't know what I'm talking about. It's a great movie. I love it. It's fantastic. Yeah, the 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 wife ex wife from Santa Claus and Sally Field should have played sisters in a movie. I think they're there. That is a conspiracy. It's not even. That's not even a. <laughs> I always a, thought a, that too. A, 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 that's not even a complex enough statement to make a conspiracy theory. It's just obvious. <laughs> they're the same person. Does that mean Judge Reinhold should have been Bond? <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Yeah. All right. What was his name in that again? Neil. 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 And Neil. Well, which is um, the which is the bigger stick man, Neil or James Bond? That's I, the real question. What's the worst name, Neil or Stu? That's true. <laughs> it's more of a it's more of a soup <laughs> than a name. 
so I I remember growing up with this movie. Uh, Todd, I don't even know, remember the first time we watched it. Probably right when it, right around when it came onto TV for the first time because we didn't really go to movie theaters much as kids. But uh, but yeah, I grew up with this movie. And here's the funny thing though. I watched this movie this morning, and it was probably the first time I'd seen it in 20, 25 years. And I I thought I remembered the movie well. I remember bits of this movie well. I There were parts of this movie I did not remember at all. But it holds up. I watched it with my kids. My kids loved it. They loved it so much that as I came up here to, to, uh, to record... And my wife asked them what they wanted to watch while we were recording. They asked to watch Mrs. Doubtfire again. So uh, they're downstairs watching Mrs. Doubtfire right now. They're throwing a party like they do in the movie, but exactly. <laughs> yeah, for me, I don't. I mean, I, like Terry said, I I haven't seen this movie in a long time. Like the la- I mean, I've seen it a lot. I've seen parts of it a lot. Probably like the last like forty five minutes, I've seen twenty times. But there are parts that I don't really remember very much at all. But at the same time, you could look at it from the point of view that I didn't even realize until this time watching it that he was drunk at the restaurant. Oh, like wow. th- that's how, that's how long it's been since I've watched it that I don't even I didn't even understand that he was drunk. Like I just thought that he was getting confused and mixed up in what he was doing. And that's why he gets caught. Mm-hmm. But um, it makes it more uncomfortable and less slapsticky the fact that he's drunk. It, it was a little tragic in a way, but. <laughs> I don't know. I it, yeah, it's been a long time. I, I've always enjoyed the movie, um, and and thought it had a big heart, and it, it is really funny. But I don't know. There are parts that I don't really get, and there, there are parts, and and it is a definitely a '90s movie. It, it like like Zach was saying, it, like there was a thing where the, like the father trying to reconnect with his children in the '90s. Like there was something that with like Big Daddy was that, and like like you know, like Santa Claus. There, there were a lot of these kind of movies and this is just one of those that kind of gets lost in that nowadays. But I mean, it is one of the Robin Williams, the shining moments. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. everybody has their most iconic Robin Williams role, which I would assume for you, Todd is goodwill hunting. But for me, it will always be this movie. I mean, this is the, this is the first movie I think of when I think of Robin Williams and it's or a Aladdin. great performance. I mean, Aladdin. Yes. Probably but more than this. Not, more he's than not on screen. Aladdin. I'd probably think of Aladdin, but if you're going to think of actually him being on screen doing his thing, nothing does that better than Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, I would agree with that. Probably more or, popular or than being human or Bicentennial Man. Good Morning Vietnam was a very was a very Robin Williams. That's role. a good point. That that was that was the first time he really showed everything he could do on screen. All right. Well, we've alluded to it a couple times, but uh, Stu in this movie is played by Pierce Brosnan pre James Bond. So we decided to do a Mount Rushmore of, uh, of James Bond actors in non James Bond roles, the best performances by a James Bond in a non James Bond role. I think, I mean, it, it is a simple, it's a simple category but kind of impossible to describe <laughs> well, at least. So uh, that's what we're going with. Let's see here. Who the, do we do we want to do the consensus before we start, or uh, I don't know. Do we have a consensus before we start? 
<laughs> I don't know that we do. I don't know if we do. Okay, then we're just going to go for it. And I'm going to go first. Because I haven't gone first on anything yet today. So I'm going first. And if I'm going first, there's only one answer. And it's what I thought would be the consensus. And that is Sean Connery in The Rock. Damn you, Terry. See, I'm telling you, this was this is right. what I thought would be the consensus. You don't want to Unless... go with him with fi- in Finding Forrester? You're the dog, man. Yo. No. <laughs> no. Or do we want to say that's the consensus and move on and I pick something else? Well, that wasn't the one I wrote down for Connery, but okay, then okay. I'll then I'll I'll take I'll take it then. Sean Connery and the Rock because it's it is about as iconic of a performance as you get. Uh, I think there are there's an entire generation of people who will think of of a uh, Sean Connery as the guy who escaped Alcatraz instead of thinking of him as James Bond. Um, like that's the first thing you think of. I know that that was me for the longest time. I didn't watch a Connery James Bond movie until maybe 10 years ago. So, uh, so for me, he was always the guy in the rock. And so I, that's, that's what I'm going with. Todd, I'll let you go next since I stole Zach's. (laughs) Well, the, the problem is a few of the actors are like really not good actors and uh, yeah. they don't they haven't really been in a whole lot like i looked i've never seen george lazenby in another movie and i uh i've never seen roger moore in a diff- different movie until this week and the movie was awful and he was basically playing bond um <laughs> did you watch seen, that movie for in preparation for this episode no i didn't know he was in it <laughs> until i was <laughs> watching it which uh, makes it really random and then timothy dalton i've only seen one movie and it was a voice acted Role, so I guess I'll go with one of the well, other I saw actors. In, I saw him in Hot Fuzz. Oh, Hot Fuzz. Okay, yeah. I don't remember him in that. I was thinking Toy Story three. Uh, I'll go with. I'll, I'll. I mean, the easy one to choose is Daniel Craig, because he's had a bunch of movies. So I'll go with. I'll take the Pierce Brosnan role, and I'll say uh, the Ghost Rider, because oh, that, that was a really interesting wow. uh, movie. That was really kind of. It was sort of popular at the time uh, kind of overlooked though by awards but i think it was probably his best like disappearing into a character role that i've seen him do uh, and was that what who was that was that uh was that a billy ray movie i can't remember that sounds right i i remember really liking that movie but it i was don't Rome, really roman polanski movie Never oh mind. it was a polanski movie that's, that's right. right you see that movie zach no i did not so ewan mcgregor Ewan Ewan McGregor is Pierce Brosnan's Ghost Rider, and uh, a lot of oh, I thought you meant Ghost Rider like the Nicolas Cage movie. No, Ghost Rider. That's why I laughed at it at first. Oh yeah, because Roman Polanski totally directs those. (laughs) You are known for the Cager, so I thought you were pulling up what your uh, you know your brand. But uh, I would have been more impressed if you had said Ghost Rider and that uh, he was in it. But uh, no, I have not seen Ghost Rider, even though I know how that movie ends. I know this. I know the surprise ending. All right, yeah. Zach. It was spoiled for me, which is why I didn't watch. It's also why I didn't watch Thirteen Hours because that was spoiled for me as well. Uh, my uh, number Thirteen one, Lives. Thirteen Lives. Not not the Benghazi movie. <laughs> oh, Thirteen. Yeah, that was spoiled for me too. Uh, all right, so. Uh, well, I mean, I think uh, you know you're you're begging me to go with Benoit Blanc. I think that should be our our uh, Taft pick or what our fourth consensus. Consensus. Our consensus pick. 
which I don't really want to pick that because I just gave thumbs down to Glass Onions. So I'm well, going to go. We can make that the consensus. I'm I'm good with that. That wasn't the. I wasn't one of the top ones. I was choosing for All Craig. Right, all right, then just pick what you're going to pick. <laughs> Uh, well, and and the only other one I was thinking of for Craig would have been Layer Cake, but I haven't seen that movie since it came out. I really dug it. I don't really remember Daniel Craig being, I mean, it was like his breakout movie, but I don't really remember a whole lot. Uh, I'm going to just go with Pierce Brosnan and Mrs. Doubtfire. I mean, I know it's the lame pick, but just as Todd was saying, there is a real dearth of quality performances outside the James Bond universe. I mean, there's a paucity of it that is pretty stunning. And uh, the best thing about Pierce Brosnan in this movie, besides his throw-up technique, is the fact that he didn't break character during all of Robin Williams' improvisations. I mean, how do you not crack up when he's talking about, you know, power tools in the bedroom, when he's riffing on that stuff, and when he talks about, uh, you know, oh, there's your tan. I mean, that's hilarious stuff, and yeah, that stuff is improvised, obviously, so maybe this was on take seven and he had heard it all along, but... He's kind of great in the movie. I mean, just as a bystander, he's got some great reaction shots. So does Sally Field. So, uh, you know, maybe it's not uh, Oscar-worthy performance like apparently Austin Butler is. But uh, it's, uh, you know, it's it's still quality work. So uh, I give it to Pierce Brosnan. Certainly over Mamma Mia. Thomas Crown Affair. That's who I thought. That's where I thought Todd was going to go. Yeah, that would have been. What's funny is that Pierce Brosnan was in a movie called called Evelyn, where he played a father whose kids were taken away from him, just like Mrs. Doubtfire, but he didn't dress up as a woman. And, and he never got his kids back. It was sad. All right. also in Ireland, like Banshees of Inishirin. So we've got Sean Connery in The Rock, Pierce Brosnan in The Ghost Rider, and Pierce Brosnan in Mrs. Doubtfire. This list is going I can't believe we have two quick. Brosnans. I was leaving Craig for Zach because he was so pissed about Connery. I was going to say Connery yeah. in The Last Crusade. Yeah, right. that's or, another or good one. October. Hunt for Red October. Um, or his Oscar win. Or his Oscar for show dog. That's not his Oscar win. Oh. <laughs> the Untouchables. Oh, well, um, he's so great in that movie. Everyone everyone remembers that as the greatest accent of all time. Uh, and then you got Daniel Craig. You got Daniel Craig in Knives Out, and uh, which I think he's better in Knives Out than he is in Glass Onion. You've got him in Logan Lucky. Which is is kind of him role. in his most haywire. Um, the first time I ever saw Daniel Craig was in Lara Croft Tomb Raider. Um, yeah. Well, the ones you. I like him in are, are Defiance and yeah. uh, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which I think is easily his best performance. But I need to see that one again. It's not something that is entirely difficult to him considering his Bond history. His most random performance that I have a strange affinity for is Daniel Craig in the jacket with Adrian Brody and Kira Knightley. Yeah. The organization for the unorganized. Nice. Yeah. yeah. All right. What's our con consensus here? Are we going? Are I mean, we, gonna we could go with knives out, but I mean, that's. Are we going to, are we going to snub Craig entirely and go with last crusade or hunt for red October? I don't think we can do that. We got to put Greg in there somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I Knives. suggested it, so I'm in favor of it. Knives out. Yes. All sure. right, Daniel Craig for Knives Out. At least, at least we got that. Let's please the fans. So Pierce Brosnan's our double, our double pick. He's Good a great grief. actor. 
He was good in the Taylor of Panama. He, he's actually a pretty good actor. He was in the that that show in the eighties, Remington Steel. Remington Steel. I never saw it. Which but. apparently the the fact that he was on that show prevented him from getting Bond when Timothy Dalton was cast. They wanted him then. Timothy Dalton is the father, is the ex of Mel Gibson's ex. Did you know that? The the the, the woman that he made the phone calls to, you know, that are on YouTube, and wow. uh, yeah. Apparently, they had an amicable uh, divorce. Interesting. Some celebrity gossip for you there. I was thinking about putting Timothy Dalton in that performance, too, but that wasn't a movie. <laughs> All right. It's now time for our recasting. And, yeah. <laughs> this is going to be fun. So, um, let's start with Daniel. Played by Robin Williams, uh, Zach, who play who plays this role now? Well, this was a real tough one because you could take it in a lot of different directions. Um, I thought there's there's no way that today Euphigenia Doubtfire wouldn't be played by Olivia Coleman. I mean, that is Mrs. Doubtfire at this point. Or you could go with Imelda Staunton twenty years ago, but I think she's probably a little old at this point. Um, mm. So who's a man that looks like? Olivia Coleman, I, I don't know. I, I really struggled with this idea. So then I scrapped that idea and I thought about instead making the recap, because obviously in 2023, Mrs. Doubtfire wouldn't be about a man dressing up as a woman. I think that would upset too many people. And it's just not, you know, it, there's some jokes in this movie that I don't think would land today. So I would think that it would actually be a movie where it's about a character who is an AI uh, trying to pose as a human. Um, and so that opened up some doors for me. I thought maybe Jude Law. Uh, I thought maybe, uh, you know, um, uh, Black Adam. I think I'm going to go with Alicia Vikander because she was a machine trying to pose as a real life person. So she's my female inspired Mrs. Doubtfire. And, and it's, it's not a cross-dressing. It is an AI uh, nanny that is the sub is the plot of the 2023 version so i had to do some thinking about it but how does the ai have a family what well i or, or i will is continue it a human trying to be an ai i will continue it uh as we go along i have some other recasting related to this wacky uh remake this but, might be uh, your worst idea ever are you i mean <laughs> this is a great idea but at least you can agree with me that Olivia Coleman should play Mrs. Doubtfire, not Daniel Hillard. But Todd, what do you have? Uh, I went with Keegan Michael Key. I, he, he has he, there's something about his face that looks like it could be pretty feminine anyway, and he uh, he definitely looks like he could play for uh, play for the 49ers. And he, I, he he has the voices, he has all the characters that he that he's played throughout Key and Peele, and. Uh, once I thought of him, I was like, okay, that's probably the way I got to go with this. That's a good call. I like that one. Uh, when, when Zach was, was saying you, you, you got to go, like, there, there's an obvious direction this goes. I thought he was going to say Tyler Perry. Oscar winner Tyler Perry. Oscar and, and winner who, who housed Prince Harry during COVID. I mean, he's the humanitarian award winner. I, I just thought it was gonna be it was gonna be a Medea thing. Uh, if you if Colin you're going, would like that I kind of like I I like the Keegan Michael Key 
Um, another one I thought of as you were talking about that was Keenan Thompson. I could see him being able to pull it off because uh, he's okay. he's done those things so many times on SNL. The one I wrote down was Jason Siegel. Um, <laughs> be a monster lady. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it would work. It would totally work. Because he, I mean, he has, he's goofy and has the heartfelt side of him enough that it, it, it would, it would work. It would work. Have you guys seen the trailer? I didn't watch a trailer yet for that new Jason Siegel movie with Harrison Ford. Shrinking. Mm. I didn't watch the trailer, but I saw that it exists and I'm kind of scared too. Is it a, is it a remake of downsizing? I, I don't think so. Okay. Miranda played by Sally Field would be played by who trying to be a robot, Zach? No, no. See, you guys don't understand it. It's so it, it Alicia Vikander would would uh, tr- be a robot trying to pretend to be a human nanny. No, wait, she'd be human try- trying to be a robot. That's what we were trying to say. Yeah, yeah I'm That's sorry. That's why I'm we were little... like, why? How does the robot have a family? I'm sorry. Yes. This is falling apart quickly, but I did. Are pick... you sure this is dry January? <laughs> <laughs> it, I did. Uh, okay. So I thought that uh, her, her um, wife, this is a, uh, a lesbian relationship would be Hillary Swank. Hillary Swank is a lawyer. Uh, she is busy in court defending people like her brother. And she is too busy. She's the corporate clone that she used to despise. And Alicia Vikander is just out there as a wannabe actress. Uh, and so um, she, uh, you know, tries to fool her ex as uh, a robot. Yeah, I, I got nothing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we know. All right. My Miranda, I went with Elizabeth Banks. Because I, I think the character is a really, really, I mean, just a whiny bitch character. And Elizabeth Banks is pretty good at doing that. And uh, it'd be a little weird. Keegan Michael Key and Elizabeth Banks would be kind of a quirky couple, I guess. So there we go. I just love that Elizabeth Banks directed Cocaine Beer. I mean, that's just awesome. <laughs> like, I don't know whose idea that was in Hollywood. I don't know if she lobbied for it, but that was that's a stroke of genius. I just can't wait. Yeah, that's, that's pretty great. This is my number one most anticipated of 2023. I'm, I'm counting down the days till we review it. With Ray freaking Leona. <laughs> yeah, in his final performance. Uh, okay, so the thing, the thing to remember here is, at this point, Sally Field is a two-time Oscar winner. Right? So, like, like that brings some cachet to this, I, which is why I kind of like the Hillary Swank. Yeah, she's a two-time Oscar oh, winner. She's exactly. a two-time Oscar winner. So someone who's got who's got a track record, uh, if you're doing that, I think Michelle Williams works pretty well. Um, so I, I've got her. If you're if you that doesn't matter as much. Uh, she's not an Oscar winner, but how, she's been nominated a bunch of she, times. She has played a mom recently. She that has played a mom recently. Uh, and it the other one I was looking at that uh, Loki is a pretty awesome actress and always tends to make whatever she's in better. Morena Baccarin is always good and never gets the credit for it. And she, th- she'd be really good in this too. So those are the two I had written down. Michelle Williams, if you want someone with like a similar cachet to what, what Sally Field was bringing at the time. But I thought uh, Marina Baccarin would be pretty good too. Stu would be played by who? Well, Zach, it's, it's to you. 
so I'm going to say that this is a uh, this is a Paul. Uh, you know, she's a pansexual relationship. We're just going to ignore gender tropes and boundaries here. Uh, Stu is obvious, though. Uh, Stu was the most easy one for me to recast. It's a young, up and coming British actor making his debut in American movies. Maybe he becomes James Bond. It is none other than Prince Harry. I mean, Prince Harry, you know, he's out. He's got his autobiography. He's got the podcast. He's got the media blitz. Who's to say that he wouldn't be making a splash? And he's already in the entertainment industry. He's the obvious pick for Stu. And don't tell me that's a bad idea because it's not it's not inconceivable. I mean, I, I think if you go back and, and cast Tyler Perry as the, in the lead role, it makes sense. He's British said. and he doesn't laugh. And apparently he has frostbite on his dick. So, you know, it's uh, issues in the bedroom like, uh, you know, Stu and Miranda apparently have. Todd. When you drive a big car, that's what they say. I don't know. Um, I, have, uh, I have Jamie Dornan. I thought that was the easy one. I mean, it did, oh it's, yeah, it's the musical numbers though with Stu. That's the that's a good call. Uh, the one the reason I didn't pick I, I I didn't pick him is I thought he was too young. Because I mean, if if you're talking, these people mm-hmm. are like in their early forties, and and Miranda and Stu went to school together. They have to be somewhat similar in age. He's forty. Is he forty? Okay, well that's not too bad then. That's exactly how old Pierce Brosnan <laughs> was. I didn't think that the that the British side of things was that important. I thought the most important thing was that the moment you looked at him, you realized that uh, that Daniel is completely outmatched. <laughs> and uh, and so I went with uh, I there were several options to go with. I went with Chris Evans, um, who better than Captain America himself to look like the uh, the epitome of masculinity. But he's not British. He can't do accents. I, like I said, I didn't think the British was a was an Captain issue. America, goddammit. You cast a robot. <laughs> I, I mean, what does it matter with the... It doesn't have to be a British robot. <laughs> In that case, it would be Jude Law. <laughs> all right. The last one we said we were going to do all together was Lundy, played by Robert Prosky. Uh... Zach, tell us, uh, tell us what robot is playing this character. Uh, it, well, it's not a robot, although maybe it okay. is, and we don't realize it. I think at this point in his career, it's obviously Al Pacino. Uh, in 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 much a similar oh, vein. Picture. Exactly. Liar, liar! Your pants are on fire. In much the same vein as his role in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. The twelve guns of McCluskey. Oh, what a picture! Give me that double. Double shivers on the rocks. Goes down like fire. Todd. Um, I said Alfred Molina. I'm not really sure why. I think it's it's the it's the, the right kind of uh, the the right kind of persona for him to put on, being like a a producer of of some kind. And uh, I I think he could really embellish being a drunk. As he as he does in uh, in Boogie Nights, if he's drunk or high or whatever. What what are you talking about, you kiddies? Be, one, be, you'd have to talk about Jesse's Girl and what a great song that is. He could. <laughs> he was getting pretty saw, hammered there by himself. He he makes 
he make he what does he say like oh make it two doubles for him so he can catch up <laughs> that's true <laughs> once i saw mine it was it, i couldn't think of anybody else i went with uh oliver platt yeah, with a beard, that, that's though? exactly the right kind of thing. It, it's to, it, it's totally his kind of thing. Yeah, the beard doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, who would Nicolas Cage play? No, no, we had one more. Oh, do we have? Oh, yeah, we one said of the, the children. One of the children. One of the children. I didn't cast any of the children. Who do oh, you have, Zach? This was the one that was my favorite. I mean, if you couldn't tell by the greatness of the rest of my list. Better so, be Thompson McKenzie because she's such a wooden actress. I, well, she could play the, the daughter. That's true. Uh, D.H. Robert De Niro playing the son. <laughs> <laughs> I went, well, see, I just was, I was, in, I guess, violating dry January when I made this list. I went with, 19, <laughs> I, I did a 1993 casting instead of the kid from Boy Meets World. Uh, so it wouldn't exist in this movie, but it should have been cast in 1993. And that's a young Aaron Paul. Because, listen, I mean, he says, that's a bunch of bullshit, bitch. <laughs> well, he didn't say bitch, but he would have said it if he was, uh, if he had been in if he was a, and If then, he was a, and then, a child and then version Mrs. of would have said, Wash your mouth, young man. If he was a child version bitch. of Aaron Paul that somehow knew that 20 years later he would be in a show where his catchphrase would be bitch. Then it would have been a line in 1993. Yeah, and, then, and then the other scene, the other scene I wrote down was when the kid from Boy Meets World is watching that shit on the TV with the weird face and shit, and the and Matilda is like, "That's revolting," and he's like, "Awesome." That's what young Aaron Paul would say. That's a Jesse Pinkman line. Awesome. I wrote that scene down and with a flaw. Like, what kind of a five year old uses the word revolting? She's that's read Stuart I'm... Little. I'm sure that's somewhere in, in that <laughs> revolting. I don't know, it's a pretty specific word. I don't know. Uh, I recast that character as Sonny Suljic, which is the kid in oh. mid-90s. Oh, and nice. He's got the right haircut, even. Like, I don't know. I mean, that, that seems it like... It was the mid-90s. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> Strengthening my argument. And Terry went with D.H. Robert De Niro for some reason. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's not the, bad. The, uh, the, the oldest... <laughs> the the uh the oldest uh the oldest kid would be played obviously by McKenna Grace. So that's what I'll go with. I think she'd be the youngest kid. You're talking she was the, the genius kid, right? How old is she? McKenna Grace is like 18 now. Oh probably okay, I, thought, I guess that makes sense. I thought for sure Terry's gonna go with Rowan Blanchard. Well, yeah, there's always that, but she's too old now. She's too old to play a teenager anymore. All right, who would Nicolas Cage play? I said if this was 1993, he totally could have been Stu. <laughs> yeah, that would yeah. have been something. <laughs> well, in the early 2000s, he could have been Daniel. It's not all that dissimilar from a movie as like the like the Family Man or something. And then I think he could have he could have done Daniel at some at one point. Yeah. 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 I was going to say that maybe it's not a written role in the movie, but some other actor, uh, maybe a competing actor or someone else who also does uh, voices for Pudgy the Pig, maybe a, a competition with another actor. Like, I feel like he could be a, another voice actor, at, at maybe the voice of the cat or something. He could have been Winston. Oh, <laughs> if we got that's some true. like, yeah. <laughs> like, like, like uh, illustrations of the stories that she's telling about her dead husband. <laughs> 
<laughs> or maybe that would have been interesting. Maybe he's Martin Mull in, in the one scene with Martin Mull as Sally Field's boss randomly. Yeah, or 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 is that uh is that nineties Giamatti? Because that's the other thing. Well, that's, Who would 90s Giamatti play? Oh boy, I thought a lot about this question rewatching the movie because there are a lot of candidates here. I mean, we get the cam the obvious one is the cameraman who falls asleep with the dinosaur show, right? That's a good one. That's a good one. I couldn't actually tell which character I was trying to figure. I, I, there were like three characters that I all could be the character I was thinking of. It's either TV boss, ADR director, Lou, or TV director. Whoever was the one that he was telling off, I think he calls him Lou, but he was the director. Piss off, Lou. Yeah, Lou is a good Giamatti character. I also like but, the but guys. He's called, but smoking. there's a character called TV director, and that was the director. But maybe it's the TV director and the Mrs. Doubtfire show at the end. The one who says, mm. and cut. Or what about TV boss? Is that maybe that's the guy behind the glass that they ask in the first? I don't know. Either one of those, he's any or all of those. <laughs> See, I like the I like the guys that he asks about the smoking because in my best friend's wedding, his character is obviously also a smoker, a one-time smoker. I I have uh I put down he has that... to be working in the control room, right? Well, that I mean that that's that would be on brand. I said he could have been uh he could have been brother Frank. Nah, it's too big of a role. It is a big role, but he, <laughs> that would be funny. He could have done it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, well, and, yeah, yeah. Any, any more, and you'd be mom. <laughs> <laughs> See, it could work. It could work. All right. What does Adam think this movie is about? Okay, I got this. He thinks it's another Judy Dench movie in the tradition of Mrs. Brown and Mrs. Henderson presents, and then next comes Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> I, I think he thinks that this is a sequel to Firestarter, and like, uh, it is the arch nemesis to the kid. Uh, the the Firestarter's arch nemesis is Mrs. Doubtfire, um, <laughs> and uh, and they battle it out, kind of like kind of like an Iceman Pyro thing from X Two. So that's why she gets her hot flashes. <laughs> fire starter. Yes. Yes. Uh, I had two picks for Adam. I thought this is the story about Brock Purdy's backup on the San Francisco 49ers as quarterback. When he gets knocked out in the playoffs, they have to bring in Euphigenia Doubtfire. Or it's a story about the dangers of smoking and a class action lawsuit brought by Hillary Swank by all the people who smoke at table 39. And in Pudgy the Pig. Pudgy the Parrot. <laughs> while, while watching the cartoon. <laughs> while watching the cartoon. Okay, we, we keep... Uh, we keep uh, Since Todd mentioned uh, Keegan-Michael Key, I can't help but think that uh, that this name... What's the first name? I keep on forgetting it. Uvigenia, which is a, you, supposedly a, 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 a rearranged version of Huge Vagina. Can, can't you hear, hear Keegan-Michael Key? Uvigenia Doubtfire. LSU University. <laughs> yeah, that's, <true>. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's that was a funny commentary. That's, that was good. That's almost as good as your Peter Dinklage. I think I'm, I'm as Campbell Lecter. Now I, I think that I'm going to see that the, the next time I watch this movie. Keegan Michael Key introducing himself. And LSU is the perfect college, too. <laughs> uh, all right. Highest war performance. Todd goes to who? Well, I mean, it's I mean, it's got to be Robin, right? He's, yeah, th this is one of the highest war of all time. I feel. 
I mean, this just like, from the opening like... scene of him just doing his thing, which is the which is the uh, the DVD uh, cover menu thing, is him just singing that song. It's just like you, you are <laughs> automatically in, and it's because it's him, and it's because of his energy and chaos that he brings to the whole movie. And it, there, there's nobody that did it ever like Robin Williams, and that's okay. But Cage true. also sang opera. In several movies. He sang opera in Moonstruck. He sang opera in The Family Man. I think Cage could have pulled off this role in 1993. Well, maybe more 1998. He kind of sings opera in Face Off, too, I think. Yeah, and I think he likes opera. Well, I mean, I'm not just saying the singing. I'm just everything. Like, he's he's a better woman than Dustin Hoffman was. He's a better woman than Jack Lemmon was. I don't know. He's It's Robin Williams. He's the highest bar. Yeah, I feel like this kind of goes in the same category as like Jim Carrey and Liar Liar, where this movie was made for Robin Williams to do his thing and no one else really could do it. Like I'm Jim Carrey. Now that would have been an interesting one. I don't think it would have worked though. I don't think it would have worked quite the same. But uh but yeah, Robin Williams, if I, I had one other thought if you were gonna go with anybody else. I mean, it's kind of impossible to think of anybody ever replacing Harvey Firestein in a movie. Mm-hmm. I was thinking and, about that pick. Because <laughs> once he's there, <laughs> he owns that performance, and you can't think of anybody else, well, anybody it's, else it's doing sort of that like, voice it's and sort of doing like, that performance. Sort of like Jeremy Piven in, like, what, Rush Hour 2 or whatever? Or Isn't that what he's in? I or is don't. It- Oh, I think I think I know what you're saying. Yeah, it's a similar character. I think that was Rush Hour. <laughs> I think Nathan Lane could have also been Mrs. Doubtfire. Like, I think there are several comic. Nathan actors. Lane could have been Frank. <laughs> That's true. Well, Nathan Lane and, and Robin Williams were a couple in the Birdcage, so maybe That's there's true. it's a parallel universe. Uh, I'm going with. Uh, I'm going to pull out the deck here early. I'm going to go with my. Um, Nobel Prize uh, Committee from Beautiful Mind Award uh, as Austin Pendleton highest war. Because you're right, it's obviously Robin Williams. But my Austin Pendleton Award for highest uh, war is Scott Beach as the judge. I mean, that guy is a judge. Like, you yeah, look at that. That's a that, good call. You can, now, Sid Haig as that judge is funny. I And he's Jackie Brown's judge. But this guy is a judge. I mean, he's very, you know, elderly and statesmanlike. And, um, you know, you could see him in a variety. He, he probably had a guest spot on Boy Meets World where Corey gets a, a ticket or something. Like, he could have he could have stepped into any role as a judge. Uh, and he's great. Um, and apparently he was also the mayor in Stand By Me, which is very interesting. And he plays a wino in Getting Even with Dad with uh, Macaulay Culkin and Ted Danson. Another 1993 wow. classic. So I was thinking of Jeremy Piven. It's Rush Hour. He plays the Versace salesman. Okay. It's a very similar role to Harvey Fierce, I, I know what you're talking about now. Man. That yeah, might be, need to be a deep dive this year. <laughs> is, or wait, is was Rush Hour 98? Yeah, 98. Yeah, yeah, we might need to do that. Never seen it. Whoa. Okay. I don't think he's that... seen any Brett Ratner movies other than X-Men First Class and now Red Dragon. And now Red Dragon. <laughs> okay. Be. Bill Paxton Memorial worst performance of the film goes to Huzak. Uh, I'm trying to find. Oh, uh, I'm going with Ralph Peduto as the cop 
the cop who breaks up the uh, the the farm animal party because he inexplicably speaks in a New York accent. Did you notice that? Hey, we got we got complaints about all these animals here. Gotta get them off your property. You know, I'm, I'm not doing a good accent, but why is there a New York accent? Did he not get the memo? This is a San Francisco movie. Not only that, is he not recognizing that this house is on a hill? Like, come on. I mean, it's pretty iconic San Francisco. Bad performance. Uh, that's who I had written down to. Was oh, great. Okay. Great. Well, <laughs> it's getting you back for taking Sean Connery away from me. Uh, I mean, another Sean Francisco movie. Why didn't we do Mount Rushmore of Sean Francisco movies, Jade? So, that yeah. would have been, yeah, or or um, uh, uh, the Dirty Harry, Bullet, Bullet. That's a good one. Are my Bill go. Paxton role is uh, Joseph Narducci as the delivery boy. Uh, I don't know. He's not even working for tips. He's just a dick, and I I feel like that's just the actor that they got to play that role. I don't know. I mean, that, maybe that could have been Giamatti. Even I don't know. I don't know. It, it's just a weird. It's a weird little spot. And that actor's just like, no, I don't. <laughs> Wasn't good. I think that's a punchable face. That's he's fine, he, but he's very unlikable. That's a, also like a 1993 Chris Evans role, maybe. Well, he might have been too young, but that's like an early Chris. Evans. That's like the not another teen movie Chris Evans role. Whatever happened to that actor? Did he ever do anything? Delivery Chris guy. Evans. No, oh, the no. delivery guy. Joseph Narducci. <laughs> uh, yeah, not a whole lot did here. Did he become the head coach at Pitt? No, that's Pat Narduzzi. He did a movie called this year called Why the Nativity. That's a producer credit. He's oh, got producer. five acting credits. This is his only... No, he's got one of the movie To Save a Life in 2009. I bet he probably gets recognized as a delivery guy a lot. Oh. I think that's the kind of role where you remember that face and that attitude. I remember this movie. It's one. It was one of the first, like, the of the uh, the the Christian uh, set of movies. Like, it was it was like the start of the Christian Christian movie like push. So I've heard of this. I never saw it, but I've heard of this. And mm. he's in it. Does he even have? He's like not even he's last build on the uh, top cast page on IMDb. So a bad forgotten uh, Christian uh, studio movie is uh, and he's last on there. That's his only other movie credit. So, you know, good. It, he's, he's a good one. Amazing Larry Big Tim High Roller Award goes to i'm gonna go first on this one i went with uh with sydney walker as the bus driver mm. um mediterranean women yeah he he <laughs> kind of a stick man he he is uh, he he's he kind of fills the role of like charles derning and tootsie as just that <laughs> good comparison that, that lovable warm old man just looking for a companion and and instantly instant attraction and then realizes no 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 maybe not <laughs> but uh, he's he's great he, he he's a great role uh zach what do you got so many good picks here um i i think we should spend the whole episode on the bit roles in this movie because there's so many goddamn good ones 
Um, I really want to go with Mr. Sprinkles, um, a.k.a. Uh, the dinosaur host. Um, you know, I wonder if he saw Jurassic Park in this year and just thought it was a missed opportunity because that then his show could have blown up really, but he becomes a mailman, which is funny. Um, I also really love Tony, and which is crazy because Tony does not appear to have an IMDb credit. I don't know who plays that role, uh, but you box him, you ship him. Lots of luck, smartass. I mean, that's a great line. And uh, you, you definitely want to know more. Maybe about that's it. the TV boss. That could be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Joe Bellin. Is that right? Maybe. And, and just recently died last year at the age of 90. Yeah, so uh, there's definitely um, that too. Um, I yeah, so minor character. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'll go with Tony. You know, because he's he's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, I'm, I I, I want to know more about uh, you know that character and and why you have to box and ship so many things. Why that takes a, another job to to do, I guess. But uh, yeah, he's great. I also want to know a lot more about the the staff at Bridges. In particular, Tanya, the coat girl, and uh, the guy at the front, the Mater D guy, who's seat the guy who's seating everybody, and then the waiter. Um, yeah. Oh, I had a recasting for the the rate the waiter, the waiter for um, Daniel and Mister uh, Lundy would be played by MC Ganey. <laughs> there we go. He's got the tie out. He's got kind of a loose attitude, and you could probably see him stripping down naked and throwing his dick in front of the camera. Joe Bellin only has two pictures on IMDb and they're him with Clint Eastwood in the 1983 film Sudden Impact, which was also a San Francisco movie, by the way. Lots of great <laughs> San Francisco movies. That's got to be who that was then. It's got to be. Yeah. I mean, he, he kind of reminds me of, of uh, Paulie's boss in, in uh, Rocky something. Oh, That's true. Yeah. It's a Burgess Meredith character, which is also why he probably was a stick man. <laughs> All right, Todd. All right. Uh, so I had two others written down. I, I really like Mrs. Selner, who uh, obviously was in Liar Liar as yes, well. She, yeah, she's just a really, she she's a really quirky character. She really, I mean, and she puts the 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 pie on her face at the end. That's a really funny moment. And I don't know. She's she's always a highlight whenever I see her. And I also like Aunt Jack, uh, played by Scott Capurro. He's he's just he's just there. He fits for some reason when they start singing that song, uh, and like <laughs> and, and every, match maker, give me a match. You, yeah. you need it's one of those characters that he fits so well. You just need no other explanation as to why he's there. It's like you already know just by looking at him. Like he, you know exactly where he stands. And I, I love it's a it's a cool character. And then th those two uh, uh, could have had that could have had their own like side Spin movie off. or something. Yeah. And if yeah. you think about it, they're they're Oscar winners because this movie won for makeup, but it was the makeup they did in the movie. <laughs> Great call. Great call. They should they should have credited them like uh, the Donald Kaufman thing. Just like yeah. <laughs> Aunt Jack and, and an uncle um whatever his name is. Do they get royalties from the Mrs. Frank. Doubtfire show for coming uncle up with Frank. the makeup? Um I mean, I don't know. Maybe. I just want to say Anne Haney between this and Liar Liar, like she had a good run there where she was basically every 90s comedians like Margaret Dumont, like Marx Brothers 
the the straight woman that is that is her job is to just stand there and be appalled by the by the complete insanity that's going on around her. Not not she does yeah. it better than anybody. The American president too, right? Oh yeah, that's right. Another deep dive. This is our third deep dive with her in it. <laughs> we should just call ourselves the Anne Haney podcast. Yeah, we got we gotta we gotta check out what else we can do from her. Okay, uh, Stickman, uh, Swigert Stickman, the the newly named Uncle Douchebag, and uh, <laughs> and the Robert Forster Memorial Most Punchable Face Award. Todd, you're first. Uh, the spider stick man. Swigert uh, stick man. We Swigert, changed it to Swigert. Right. I'm gonna change I mean, we could go with we could go with spider if we wanted to. I mean, Swigert works too. Yeah. Um. I. I mean, I. I'd like Zach already kind of spoiled that. I said the bus driver because like he sees you. Uh, you've heard and I uh, get on the bus and he was trying to smash. Like he was like, <laughs> he, he's like he's like oh hey there lady or whatever. I mean he's he told he he probably gets some as a bus driver. Like there need to be more movies about bus drivers. We have a lot of bus yes. drivers on these on these deep dives we do. We, how would a Mount Rushmore bus drivers? I think he's a he's a solid candidate along with Sam from Speed, and uh, and Chris Farley and Billy Madison. That's where I, that's where my brain went um, right away. And Dolores from the Sweet Hereafter. <laughs> I mean, she she crashed the bus, but I don't think we can hold that against her. Or that old lady uh, in Forrest Gump. And now we're yes. not longer strangers. Who's the bus uh, driver in the um, bus to school? Who's the bus driver in uh, League of Their Own, Terry? Does he deserve a spot too? Oh, <laughs> where's Lou? Well, Lou, that's right. What about Wait. Almost Famous? Who drives the bus in Almost Famous? Who that's drives Doris? Too. Oh man, I don't know. Yeah, not Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Uh, All right, my... uh, really quick, apparently Ann Haney was a teacher in an episode of Boy Meets World. Robert De Niro. Which How can we forget Robert De Niro in uh, This Boy's Life? He's the, he, Isn't he a bus driver in that shit, too? Is he a bus driver in a Bronx Tale? Bronx Tale. I'm sorry. I always confuse those movies. I'm, I'm no, sorry. I lost it. Ann Haney was Nielsen. Mrs. Nelson. Yeah, Mrs. Nelson in an episode of Boy it's Meets like World. The college years, I think. <laughs> uh... Season seven, episode the, eight, the honeymooners. Did you see the, the the story about William Daniels this week, Todd? About how uh, I saw it on social media and I thought of you about uh, there's I I guess his wife published an autobiography in which they he they said oh. that apparently he was uh, he was uh, quite the stick man himself and uh, uh, even in their marriage. I did see something about that. That is. Uh... That is uh, interesting. He had some weird stories when he was on the the, the podcast where they rewatch all the episodes. Like, I mean, okay, I don't know. So They've been together a long time for like seventy years. So I mean, that, yeah, that, that's surprising that they actually were still together if she knew about all that. So, so maybe maybe she wasn't a teacher. So it was an episode. the The description is: Corey and Topanga are oblivious to the fact that Eric has followed them to their tropic honeymoon, where they consider relocating to permanently. And uh, the the picture from the episode is actually her uh, Anne Haney's like actual IMDb profile pic. That's from <laughs> that is from Boy Meets World. Okay, so she was like a tour guide she, or something, I, or, or or maybe maybe she was also there like on vacation with her husband because there is a Mister Nelson uh, 
credited in that episode as well. Okay, that makes sense. All right. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay, How have we not talked about Jack on <laughs> Boy Meets World? Young Jack. <laughs> this is turning into the Boy Meets World podcast. Seriously. Okay. Uh, I'll go oh. next. Uh, I know. I, 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 I finish out. Yeah. Was there I only got where... through Stickman. I got the... He's talking about the bus driver. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty simple one, but these are one of our coolest. Wasn't there an ever. episode where Eric dressed in drag? Yeah. There, there, there's multiple episodes where they dress in drag. Uh, Jack, Jack and Eric have to dress in drag in order to not get beat up, I think. Um, <laughs> Corey and Sean dress in drag in one episode, too. Um, okay. Uh, the Uncle Douchebag Award I'm giving to uh, the kids across the street who are who are laughing at Daniel while he's changing and laughing at him losing his his face. Like the, the, those kids are just little little bitches. They they <laughs> rat him out wow. to their to their mother. Yeah, little douchebags. Uh, um, wait, they rat him out to their mother. Well, yeah, when they, when they see that he's that? that he's that he's got. Oh yeah, they do say mom. Yeah, I yeah. remember that. And then then that's when he's like shutting the window and loses his face, and then they laugh at him. Um, then uh, the Robert Forster most punchable face. I went with Drew Letchworth as Daniel's attorney, because uh, he he's pretty incompetent and he has that weaselly little smirk about him. He's he's like the character in in Better Call Saul that Jimmy always and gets annoyed by. I think his name's Bill. Uh, he looks kind of like him. He's got that 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 big old punchable nose, and uh, yeah, Daniel's I attorney. Was, I always thought punch. he looked like Gene Siskel. <laughs> There's a little bit of that too. I can see that. I can see that. That's my recasting. Gene Siskel as the attorney who gets fired. So I'll go next because he was my uh, he was my uncle douchebag. Uh, Daniel's attorney. I mean, he did just. What kind of case could you put up for with this guy? Like he, he he's out of work, <laughs> you know. He's unstable. Ends up dressing like a woman and messing everybody's can't, lives up. Can't you say something? No, I mean he's already decided. It's like, well, we'll, we'll revisit. Well, in 30 he doesn't days. dress like, like a woman when he's on. He he doesn't. He goes as his own counsel at the end, Zach. This, I, he's only at the beginning. Well, you've got some hope there at the end. Uh, he, no, he's horrible. Uh, my stick man. I the stick man is Stu. Right, I mean, the, the Stu is a, a Hall of Fame. If we're talking Hall of Fame announcement for Stickmen this year, we're a thirty-year anniversary. <laughs> Stu's name could come up on Tuesday. It could. It could. Uh, he should my, be at least considered along with Scott Rowland and my my Billy most, Wagner. <laughs> <laughs> my most punchable face is uh, is Molly McClure as woman housekeeper. She's the one at the end. I don't do this. I don't do this. I don't do this. I don't, I don't do, do diapers. This. I don't do diapers. I don't, I don't do, do reading. reading. Yeah. Um, and I felt like that, that scene should have ended with Mike Myers walking in as Austin powers and punching her in the face and go, she's a man, baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cause it, like the same hairdo as, uh, as uh, Basil's Basil's mother. Yeah. So yes. All right, Zach, what do you have? Uh, what are the categories again? <laughs> Sick man, douchebag, and most punchable <laughs> face. I've been talking, so I can't remember any of them. Um, Stick man, I was going to go with uh, 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 Mrs. Doubtfire and Daniel's father. 
the guy's go, you know, he's a GI in Europe. He's in London at the time, and he just meets this broad and picks up these British ladies. I mean, that's pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive uh, stickman work it's there. A great it's, call. It's, it's Burgess great Meredith call. territory. Um, let's see, punchable face. Well, I think we got to go with the delivery guy. I mean, that's I think that's borderline Hall of Fame punchable face territory we're at. And then for douchebag, I mean, I'm just going to go out on the limb and say Daniel. I mean, that's that was the big takeaway for me watching this movie. Like the the the, the cards were stacked so much for him in this movie. He's an asshole. Like the way that you know he's like, oh hey Miranda, let me watch the kids after school. Yeah, it'd be great. I mean, that's a that's a dick thing to say, you know. And uh, he doesn't have a job, you know. He doesn't seem to care about anything except his kids. And you know, he's sweet and he's Robin Williams, and we love Robin Williams just in instinctively. But uh, let me tell you, if, if this if this act uh, performance had been by like Greg Kinnear, we would hate him. I mean, there's no likability there whatsoever. It's just that it's Robin Williams, but his motives are terrible. I so think he's that says more about friend. Greg Kinnear than the character. <laughs> <It's possible. laughs> I mean, you had to pick Greg Kinnear. Uh, all right, best scene is what Zach. Uh, okay, well, um, I actually have a number of picks here. I think that one of the scenes that really there was okay, I'm gonna go funny scene and serious scene. The serious scene that I didn't remember as well, but really stuck out to me was when uh, Lydia uh, apologizes to Mrs. Doubtfire outside the house and they forgive each other. Mm. That's, that, that's a wonderful little scene. You know, that, that's where this movie, I think, um, makes itself uh, better than the, than the others because there's a real heart and soul to this movie that I think is really great. And I actually also love the scene when Mrs. Doubtfire talks to Miranda about her marriage. I mean, that's a good scene. Like that's, that, that's not farce. That's, 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 uh, you know, obviously important stuff. Uh, Coward best, agrees. I would. Yeah. Thank you coward uh the best uh sequence in the movie the best comic sequence in the movie i mean we could go with bridges we could go with the crank calls i don't know um uh, any any comic sequence i guess i'll go with with the whole bridges thing i mean that's that's great comedy that's high comedy the yeah, whole the last half hour <laughs> that's, that's several scenes <laughs> all right you want me to pick like one thing specifically yeah I, well then can i go with the crank calls because that's a, that's a shorter segment that's probably like that, five that, minutes. Yeah. Sure. Okay. My mine was on on a similar vein. It was uh, and it was one I had completely forgotten about. It's it's when uh, it's when what's her name that the one that we've been talking about this whole time and Haney, Mrs. Selner asks him, "Do you have any skills?" Yeah. And I and was prepared just... to like all, get all the things that he references there for trivia, but Zach didn't go there. Yeah, <laughs> and he just goes off for like a minute on all the different voices he can do and. Yeah, Groucho Marx. He had uh, Ronald Reagan. He had, he had um, I think he was just a sausage. For hot dogs. <laughs> I mean that I had completely forgotten that scene existed, and it was so funny. It was uh, it was it was Robin Williams doing his Robin Williams thing the most. So, yeah, Todd. Uh, I mean, I have quite a few. I, I pretty much like every time that Daniel and Stu are together, whether it's at the pool and they're they're like doing their whole back and forth or at oh, the restaurant. Oh, it was a drive-by fruiting. Run, run, yeah, run by fruiting. <laughs> at the at the restaurant, well, like every time that he's trying to like uh, divert him or something kind of when they first meet too, like just just like, like the little 
things to say to each other. But I'm gonna go with uh, when Mrs. Selner comes to Danny's place because that that is that I think is Robin Williams absolutely doing his thing. He's like at full speed, like going down the hall, changing, coming back while he's still like doing his thing in both voices. That's Robin Williams like Oscar tape right there, you know. And uh, and obviously Mrs. Selner is my favorite minor character. So, that, and you really hate too. those Asian kids across the street. I, yeah. well, I mean, that, that, that speaks I mean, there's to a lot of douchebags in this movie. I think they, they're probably numbers 45. You know, we're talking about number eight. You're talking about number 692. So I, I think they're deep down on the list somewhere. Well played. Well played. What was that from? Apollo 13. Apollo 13. Oh, that's right. Okay. Apollo 13 Reasons Why. No. Apollo 13 Hours. Um, lives. 13 Lives. <laughs> If uh, no regal quote of the movie. Oh yeah, we got some good ones here. I, I went with uh, "I'm getting hot flashes." <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely in play. First day as a woman, I'm getting hot flashes. You first day, first day as a woman, and I'm getting hot flashes. Yeah. Yeah, hello. Yeah, I mean that that's the other yeah. one. Yeah, that, that's, that's the other good. one I was thinking of. Well, there's one thing that that like uh, Trish and I used to always quote to each other, which was like a. Uh, like when uh, Miranda first sees that it was Daniel the whole time, she's like, duh, duh, the whole time. And she's like, I have to go. We have to leave now. I have to leave. We're leaving now. Uh, we're going. It's like, she's just like in another world, just like spitting out words. And it's just like and her cadence and everything is just so perfect. I mean, I, I could easily see that being a, replicated in some way i don't know i'm not sure how it would fit into that commercial. But I had a side question about that. Was this the worst birthday ever? I mean, in the Hall of Fame of Worst Birthdays, I think that one playoff game where Jake DeLome threw like six interceptions was on his birthday. Well, I mean, but, but you, you have, his... I think you have two candidates for worst. Yeah, birthday the, ever the, kid, in the kids, movie. the kids' mom asked his father for a divorce on his birthday. That's gonna be pretty bad. <laughs> now too. that's a great point. I had <laughs> forgot that that was his birthday. We're talking two birthdays in this family uh, ruined consecutively. That's a that's a solid point there. So whose birthday gets ruined next? The uh, Matildas. So so alternate title. Of, maybe the all right. I think we might need to have a a a separate category. Alternate title of the movie, and I think the alternate title of this movie would be worth shit worst birthdays. birthdays ever. Yeah, shit birthdays. It's even worse than uh, liar liar's birthday when his dad didn't show up. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's a true. lot of birthdays in these. He did give movies. him baseball stuff though. That's true. Wasn't it Jose Canseco? Baseball stuff. However, however, yeah, what it was, well, Anne Haney is the one that bought that baseball stuff. So, oh, uh, conspiracy theory. Let's, let's bring Mrs. it all full circle here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, wait, I almost forgot the uh, Nicole Kidman movie companion award for this movie would go to who? Who would you want to see a movie with? I don't still even movie. understand the category. <laughs> like this is such an inside joke, and I don't even understand the joke. <laughs> character, character, you want to see a movie with? And narrate, and narrate the, with. and narrate going into the movie. I it's no, so, no, just obviously, just obviously, would be, obviously would be Daniel Hillard because he would introduce the movie and do all the voices, and it, it would be like you know he introduces the movie. It would be like uh, Mankiewicz on TV. That's what he thinks his job is, so he'd be great at it. 
I mean, that that's true. It's true. It'd be like full on mystery science theater moment there. Uh, just yeah. Um, Todd doesn't I, get the award, so Todd he, get the he, award. he respectfully declines. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm just looking at the cast here, and I was thinking either Martin Mull because I don't know that that seems like it would be fun, or there there's a character I don't even know when it comes up. But there's a character uh, Betsy Monroe is is uh, credited as stunning woman. Oh, that would be a great. Yeah. Oh, at the pool. Okay. She's also in my. Uh, uh, what's the word um characters i want to know more about minor characters uh anyways that that was a uh, yeah we'll have to remember that one or maybe not for next time do you guys have ideas <laughs> for a sequel there was a, there was supposed to be a mrs doubtfire 2 for many years that they that was in in, in development and it never came to fruition obviously i didn't know this was based on a book it's based on i think a kids book and, I mean that would make sense. Yeah, I was talking. They, they did the behind the scenes. I watched that, and uh, they said in the in the book the parents get back together, and then they switched that for the ending because they they didn't think it was realistic. This was a big project for Robin Williams' wife at the time. She was like the head honcho of everything. I was thinking, like, if there were a sequel now, like the kids are all grown up and they go to like their dad's funeral since Robin Williams is no longer around. And then uh, I it's don't know. on their birthday. Another it's on their birthday. birthday where they go see dad in the cemetery. Yeah, I don't know, but that 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 sounds like the the, the makings of a crappy movie. So I, I I don't know. Did you guys ever have a shitty birthday? I mean, I had a birthday once where I had two of my friends got into a fist fight. My tenth birthday, no, eleventh. Was at a pizza parlor. It was it was pretty traumatic. I mean, there there was this one birthday that I had where where I wasn't home. I I had to I was I was off somewhere else, and all I wanted for my birthday was was just a an omelet at at a nice diner because because I had to be I had to be there for my buddy who was getting married the day before, and uh, mm. I mean that that one was kind of kind of weird, but uh, nice. Well, there was that that one year on Todd's birthday when aliens came and destroyed it, and Will Smith had to save the world. Yeah, that was a pretty shitty birthday. Or, or there was the, birth, yeah. the Todd's birthday where you showed up. I mean, that was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of good nominees. There, there are some good nominees. There's some good ones there. There's some good ones. Uh, all right, flaws, outdated conspiracy theories, anything like that. I had one thought here. So the cops show up because you can't have barnyard animals in the city. Why in the world would a mobile petting zoo even show up there if they knew he was going if he knew he was going to get a ticket for showing up? An evil petting zoo? <laughs> <laughs> that explains it. <laughs> it was run by Dr. Evil. <laughs> Maybe Scott. <laughs> Uh, that was my one thought. It's like, I mean, the the cops show up because the mobile petting zoo stopped at this house. Then why would they stop at the house if they knew it was illegal to do so? I want to know more about that or, mobile petting zoo. I mean, that how seems did all like those animals some, fit in that? Some in serious, that yeah, animal rights violations. <laughs> there were only a few of them. I feel like there was a donkey and then there was a horse, and the ducks and the rabbits and the. Uh, there were some. The horse had a lot to drink. I want to know more about how they were dancing on on top of the piano or whatever. Like that was, they were all in sync and they kept Hanging going the too. Chandelier. 
some good stuff. Do you guys have anything? Yeah, I have some stuff I want to say. Or <laughs> all right, some stuff um, I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, well. I mean, one of the things just random is uh, the woman in the restroom that he's changing in the woman's restroom. She oh, looks, she's in a movie. I've I've seen her before. But go she ahead. looks like Meryl playing Julia Child. And, That's a good call. and Julia Child was mentioned in the cartoon at the beginning of the movie. So it all just kind of made sense. I thought it may have been Julia Child, honestly. Um, I also want to know, since when does consuming your allergy, the food you're allergic to, make you swallow a whole shellfish? That was my... Okay, and, okay. And also, how this? does coughing it up cure your allergy? That's what I want to know, too. So you needed an EpiPen, not the Heimlich. <laughs> That's... <laughs> Exactly a conspiracy theory I had. How does being allergic to pepper give you that reaction? So my conspiracy theory is it had nothing to do with his allergy. He just swallowed it wrong. And who's <laughs> allergic to pepper? <laughs> yeah, that, that never made sense. But I mean, there's more. There's more issues. Um, so also, how did how did Daniel still land the gig as Mrs. Doubtfire? When was Lundy just that drunk? Lundy was drunk. Because he gets up and he runs from the table, makes a scene for the entire place, rips his face off. I mean, he's desperate. They're at that point. It stinks. It's, it's bringing down the afternoon well, lineup. Like, do, do I mean, do they just like figure like, oh, eventually I'll let him do his thing. And like, after I mean, he's, he's been exposed, be like, oh, he's obviously really tantrum. I'll just give the show to him. But no, he actually must have gone back, put him back on his face and went back to the meeting. And landed the gig as Mrs. Doubtfire again. It makes no sense. It absolutely makes sense. If he's if he's desperate enough to go to the shipping and boxing department to find content ideas, then he's going to go with anything that will work. But wh why doesn't he just like be like, okay, you obviously know I'm talented. Just give me the job or whatever. Also, um, it's uh, uh oh, I just wrote down. It's clearly nighttime, and Miranda says that she needs to go to the bank and the market. Like, they're getting done with dinner. It's clearly night. She's gotten off of work, and the bank is obviously going to be closed. I don't get that. Um, obviously, also, her cell and her landline must be the same number because that's what she keeps getting called on for the for the, Ooh, for the job. good call. And also, how does she get a hold of Mrs. Doubtfire? Because she would know that the number that she's calling would be Daniel's number. So, I mean, there's you could get yourself down a hole, and I did when I was watching. I was just like, I need to stop thinking about these things because I'm just getting distracted <laughs> from the movie. It makes no sense. <laughs> That's some good stuff. You 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 did have some stuff you needed to say. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Zach, do you have anything? Uh. Uh, since when is San Francisco the hub of all TV and movie production? Oh, I was thinking that uh, too. Oh, yeah. and yes. Animation production and animation where the voiceover is done after the animation. Um, how does this soundtrack include, you know, everything from Dude Looks Like a Lady to, you know, all these songs about being a woman and does not include Lola by the Kinks? I mean, that seems like an oversight. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, Beth Grant should have played Lundy's secretary. That's the <laughs> Beth Grant role. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, who who would Beth Grant play? I mean, that might need to be a category now. Yeah. If uh, if the it, the part the party at the beginning was the most epic party since Babylon. It, it had some it had some similarities to the Babylon <laughs> orgy. I thought with the animals involved, and then. Um, would these kids really watch Dick Van Dyke? I mean, I think Dick Van Dyke's kind of a lame show. I, I don't, would they really be like Chris, you know, Christopher's failing all of his classes. Would he really be into it? 
They're watching um, like old black and white horror movies, though. Like, it was probably like a it Vincent was 93. Price movie. That stuff was on TV. I get it. Yeah, I okay, watched whatever. old stuff back then. Yeah. And then the last thing was, you know, did you guys ever see uh, the the preview for Eye for an Eye, the Sally Field movie that came out a little bit after this? Where, you know, do you know what I'm talking about? That movie no. at all? Oh, okay. No. I made a funny joke about it to my wife, but apparently it's going to go over your heads. The joke was. She didn't hire a nanny in that movie, and that's why her daughter got abducted. She should have hired Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, a San Francisco movie. There we go. So you know it's good. Uh, all right, let's wrap this up. LVP, MVP, and then we'll move on to quote of the day. I'm going to go first. My LVP is Mr. Lundy because who keeps what? What was his name? What, what's his name, on the air for 25 years? Mr. Sprinkles. Mr. Sprinkles. Who keeps Mr. <laughs> Sprinkles on the air for 25 years when you know he sucks? I mean, he's the worst. He's a terrible... <laughs> he's like, we're, la- we're in last place. I'm going to get rid of this show. <laughs> but, uh, but, but Wait, it's, why why does that make there? him the MVP? That should he's make the him... LVP. He's the oh, okay, LVP. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, the MVP is, uh, is Christopher Prey as the puppeteer. Because for them to be able to find a guy in that to to uh, puppet and voice Kovacs that can keep up with Robin Williams as Mrs. Doubtfire and all the crazy improv and ranting and raving he does is pretty awesome. So he was the MVP because without him, it, his after school show doesn't work. So I went with nice. Todd, what do you got? Uh, so LVP, I had two written down. I got um, uh, the Maitre D. Because uh, he he takes reservations and he has the reservations written down, but then he has to ask smoking or non-smoking. So he's gonna overbook one of the one of the two at some point because he doesn't know where they actually want to sit. Uh, that makes him an LVP. I, it also is just another flaw with the movie, I think. Um, and also uh, <laughs> pre pre Zoom meetings with absolute strangers is also an LVP because uh, when it never happened, if you could uh, just interview someone over the phone. And in my MVP is uh, is Steven Tyler because dude looks like a lady is pretty much the perfect uh, thing for this entire movie <laughs> to be set to. Great call. Great call. All right, Zach. Uh, okay, my uh, LVP... No, sorry. My MVP, then we all start MVP, is Polly Holiday, who plays uh, Gloria. And uh, what's the neighbor character who rats out uh, mm. the, the birthday party. And the reason is... Um, she's billed fifth in this movie, which means yeah. that she's above all the children. She's above Miss, Mr. Lundy, Mrs. Selner. Um, the only people she's not billed above are the main three and, and Har- Harvey Farstein. And the Harvey Feierstein. The reason she's MVP is because, for one thing, she could say she was fifth billed in, in this blockbuster movie, but her scenes suck. Um, and I should say her deleted scenes because there is an extended subplot with her in the deleted scenes to this movie. Um, that involve uh, lots, lots more with this character, and it's painful, painfully unfunny. So she gets the credit, which is great, um, and and she's the MVP because her scenes actually didn't go to air or didn't go in the film, and they and they suck. So I think she comes out of this movie a, a big winner, and um, I think the, the LVP of this movie is Ron Howard because how did he not direct it? <laughs> But Chris Columbus, though, I mean, I when I, I saw that, like, that, that makes... job, but 
This is the most so Ron much ha- sense. This is the most Ron Howard movie of all time. No, it's it a Chris Columbus movie. It, 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 has, it does have some Chris some Columbus parenthood ish elements, I guess. I mean, a Home Alone. I mean, coming off of that and and some of the other, he you know, in ten years he's directing uh, Harry Potter. I mean, this is That's this true. is this is about this is about right for him with real British people. I'm gonna say the MVP is my Javi Fierstein impression. That's the it sounds kind of like your Al Pacino impression. It, it's a little bit like that. It's like that too. Okay. Uh, quote of quote of the day. Todd, start us off. Uh, it's just one of the one one of the lines I thought was funny. I didn't really realize before. It's uh so what it like? Yeah, it, it was like yeah. She doesn't smell very good. It's like that's the formaldehyde. That's why Grandma's so well preserved. <laughs> Damn you, Todd! That was my line. <laughs> That's a really funny line. I never heard that. That's the noticed that line before. It's <laughs> a what? Never mind. <laughs> oh, you stole my line, son of a bitch! Stole <laughs> you my stole line. Stole my line. That's, That's my what line, Robin man. Williams says. <laughs> All right. That, that's my line, son of a bitch. You stole my line. That's it. All right. All right. <laughs> Zach, finish us off. I had two lines that were both going to be my favorite underrated lines of the movie, so I'll say them both. Uh, the first one is, she's got the crabs, dear, and I don't mean Dungeness. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, a, the second one... You better line, have some cocktail sauce. <laughs> <laughs> she's got a jackhammer in the bedroom. Uh, the uh, second line, which is also from that scene, is when um, Sally Field says, well, why don't you take your drugs at the table? And she said, and Miss Daffar says, I can't take it orally, dear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, that, I don't know. Uh, if the kids just cracking up at their dad, like <laughs> doing doing the whole shtick. Like they did a really good job at just keeping straight faces the whole time. I mean, mo- probably most of what he was saying was over their heads. So, <laughs> all right. Well, with that, we're gonna draw this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, make sure you're subscribing, rating, reviewing. Checking out everything else we have going on. Uh, this week's daily notes also highlights, or no, last week's daily notes also highlights Mrs. Doubtfire. So you can just kind of do the Mrs. We were Doubtfire. Fun, we, we were feature. funnier, right? <laughs> we were and definitely Adam, longer. We certainly made more Anne Haney and Boy Meets World references. Uh, but uh, you can check out um, the daily notes this week. He, he's talking about Curious Case of Benjamin Button and the Dark Knight on there. Uh, then also, uh, coming out this next week is the, uh, season finale of, uh, season three of Barry in our almost sideshow where we've run out of episodes and now we've got to wait for the new season to come out. So you can check that out again, make sure you're watching for the Oscar challenge coming out soon after the nominations, make sure you're checking those out. So with that, we'll catch you next time until then half and watching movies and we'll catch you on the flip side. We're like we're like uh, amoebic dysentery. We we're just diarrhea forever. It's our podcast. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.